Time is running out for the planet Earth. It's impervious to all voices. There's an intriguing sensation. It's a nuclear device. Fun, fun, fun! Yes, that's nice. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. It belongs to a creature from outer space. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's very important. It does not confuse. Hi everyone and welcome to an all new episode of Geek Shell Inherit. I'm Daniel Pickett. I'm Jason Lindsay. And I, I haven't said those words in a while. It seems like it's been six months. It's been, well, the, the crazy thing is, while we might not have recorded the episode, we've played the home game. Because we have actually seen each other and hung out in that time. That's right. We've seen each other twice in the time that we haven't recorded a new episode. <laughs> That's right. So so if you came to WonderCon, yeah. you got to see us on a panel together. Live action. And then we uh, spent some time at Star Wars Celebration together, too, which we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah, I must have run into you guys, what, four times? It was quite a bit, yeah. And each time you were in a different costume. Well, that's I love Star Wars. You know that. I don't know how you I love it. cosplay. <clears throat> You're a very quick costume changer. Well, you know, it's not that hard to go from Bosk to uh, to Han Solo. Cut it down to a science. Um, yeah, so lots of that to cover. Um, but we're going to dispense with the pleasantries, the usual. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? And get right to it because we we're just going through our sort of little um, rough outline of what the show is and the things that, you know, we'll cover in the show and are very quickly realizing we haven't, we haven't talked in a long, long time. And there's an awful lot that's happened in the geek world since some, some significant something that reveals may use the word significant to describe. Um, and it would seem like there's only one way to go with what we're excited about. So I will let you, we're a little late to the party, but right. that's just because, you know, we're so meticulous in our uh, production. Right, right. So we may be late to the party, but the content is what counts. So without further ado, take it away, Mr. Pickett. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all anyone on the Internet is talking about. We never thought this was going to happen, uh, but it seems to come, come to pass, you know, with, in the age of Netflix – they're reviving all these old shows, and Full House is coming back with a revival called Fuller House. Yeah. And it sounds like the whole cast is going to be there. It sounds like a made-up thing, but this is actually happening. That is true. We've actually lived long enough to be satisfied, to get, get something back from the geek community. And I for, right. one, I, for one, couldn't be more excited. That, coupled with the Jurassic World trailer, I don't know... I don't know how this could be a better 2015. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the new Star Wars trailer. Oh, oh, that happened too. That's the one oh. that we need to talk about. Shice, I completely forgot about that. Yes. I might need to watch that one more time. Um, <laughs> how many times do you think you watched it? 1,700. Yeah. I think. Um, were you were you watching it uh, like live or anything? I was not watching it live. I was okay. watching. Well, I want to I want to take five minutes at some point in the show and tell you how crazy my week was after the trip to Minnesota when we got right. back and how it was just the entire week was just full speed ahead of all kinds of 
this craziness, but mostly having to do with <clears throat> things that I've loved, you know, my whole life. And, um, and start the trailer hit on Thursday. So, so Star Wars Celebration kicked off that Thursday. Right. All those people are excited about it. I, I went to a thing Monday night, which I'll talk about, <clears throat> where everyone was talking about Celebration. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and, um, and the trailer premiering on Thursday at, what, 10 a.m. in whatever hall that was or, or whatever? Right, yeah, yeah, in and the arena. I don't know how long after that it went to the Internet. Did it, was it, like, right after that it, it hit, or was it... Oh, I'm sure it's immediately, yeah. Immediately? Um, there are no dummies. And, you know, I was anxious, you know, Monday, Tuesday even, like, am I going to be able to see this thing? Like, I don't know why I got anxious about it. Of course you'd be able to see it. But part of it, I think, I realized was was wanting to be able to see it uh, just the way I saw it, which was no images beforehand, no information about it. Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, no one spoiled it. I didn't read anything and went into it, you know, blind. And, <clears throat> excuse me, going into it that way, it was so effective. And we'll get into all that and what, what this thing meant. But um, I think I can speak for a good chunk of the geek community and say that I, I am pretty sure there was that lone little tear coming down the right side of my face at the end of that trailer. And, and I, I truly wasn't expecting it to, to, to hit me the way that it did. Uh, right. But uh, yeah, once I saw it and, and I, I think, you know, the best way to see it, like I said, is not knowing anything about it, viewed it and then just hit repeat over and over and over again to just, you know, soak it all in, you know. Well, yeah, I, I was watching the live, because they broadcast that, the the opening ceremonies, which had Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams uh, addressing the crowd. Right. And so, you know, I, I wasn't going to celebration that day. So, I, you know, I got up, sat down in my pajamas, fired up the computer, and uh, started watching it. And, you know, it was it was very interesting because you know we haven't heard anything about this and we know jj abrams doesn't want a lot of information out there right still right uh he didn't even want that original teaser that came out like that that 45 seconds or whatever and you know they they brought out the new cast members and talked to them a little bit and then they brought out uh mark hamill carrie fisher and peter mayhew and I got a little lump in my throat then, just seeing them together. Uh-huh. And, and just, you know, kind of the thing, you know, Mark Hamill was very, very sweet, saying you're not fans, you're family. Yeah, I uh, saw that after the fact. I saw that like a week later kind of thing. And um, they, they brought out the guys uh, from the R2 Builders Club from the UK that actually were hired by, you know, the, the Lucasfilm production to build the R2 units for the, the movie. Which is a such a great story. Oh, that's cool. Anyway, yeah, just you know the the, <laughs> the fact they saw these fans that did such a good job. They went, that's who we need to get to uh, to actually work the droids in this. And then they brought out BB-8 as an yep. actual physical, practical prop, and that technology is bonkers. It's really cool, and it's I love that it's practical, but it's also I don't I don't. I don't think I want to know how the thing is being done. Like there's already 
speculation on how this thing was built and how the the mechanism works or whatever. But I don't think I want to know. I just want I just want I just want to be wowed. Like it's really cool. It's really a fun a fun little robot and um, uh, and really cool. And I mean, you can instantly see the remote control BB-8 toys that are going to be <clears throat> making their way around the galaxy once this thing yeah. hits. Um, and, and then they sort of pretended like that was, you know, that was it. Good night, everyone. Enjoy the show. Uh-huh. And everyone you know, just sort of sat there like, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> and then they went, oh, wait, do, do you want to see a trailer? And then they showed that, and, you know, it was just, yeah, same, same sort of thing. Like, your mouth is open, you know, hearing Mark Hamill do that narration. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the closing shot of Han and Chewie was just like, oh, it's, it's, is no, it December yet? I've said this. I said this about, I said how, how great I thought the teaser trailer was. I thought it was great. But, and this is not a, this is not a detriment. This is not, this is, this is exactly the way they, they played it and they planned it was to tease. It's the definition of a teaser. And it gave you a little bit and there's the Falcon. But there wasn't a moment that just... Boom! You know, just hit me with a left hook, the way the Phantom Menace trailer did. Now, we all know what the end result was of that movie and the subsequent, you know, uh, uh, prequels. But go back and watch that first Phantom Menace trailer, the one that has the words coming towards you that says, you know, every saga has a beginning or something, and you just hear Vader's breathing in the background. That is still an incredibly effective trailer. Like because the because the images were just like what is that and what is oh and what is that what's that machine coming through the jungle and like what's that it was all brand new and fresh and <clears throat> hopeful like everything about it was hopeful about what was to come and it's 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 still and the, and the, the the money shot unless I'm wrong but I think the teaser the money shot was seeing Darth Maul and the lightsaber open up from the other side too. Right, yeah. And that shot, everyone went, oh, my God, what was that? Like, you know, okay, and like I said, we all know what we got. Never has there been a wider chasm between trailer and finished product. But that first teaser, I thought, was good. And, of course, it got me excited, but it didn't have that take-my-breath-away thing. I thought, that's, that's, going to, that's going to come. Even having thought that, this trailer, not only is it – one of the greatest trailers, I think, ever put together. Like, the definition of wetting your appetite. Just these images and the music, and suddenly there's, what is that? And there's stuff blowing up, and then a ship's coming at you, and then there's the silver trooper, and they da 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 That's all well and good, but I, I will stand by this. The, when that screen goes black, and you hear Han Solo's voice, from that moment to... The lights coming back up and the image, that shot of them, where they are, what he says, how they look, the smirk on his face. Everything about it is about the most effective three and a half seconds in a movie trailer in history. Because yeah. not only is it, is it a brilliant shot and, and everything else, it's so fully loaded. Like everything about it is so perfectly calculated to hit us exactly where it hit us, which is who the, char- the characters that were chosen, the, the, the room that they put them in, the background 
where they are. The line spoken, everything about it has has ten times the weight of what it would normally have in just a normal trailer with a couple of characters. Everything about it screams, you know, a forty year history, basically. And I, I can't I cannot believe how effective that that's all that anybody could talk about for two or three days was just and it was interesting to see and you're far more, you know, you know, a Twitter internet guy than than, than I am or whatever, but just just watching Facebook, for example, just watching this, the solar eclipse <laughs> happen where it, it, the thing hit and then within moments, everybody was buzzing. Like just oh, yeah. collectively, everybody's buzzing about it. Pictures are going up. I changed my profile picture to Han, you know, the, the new Han and all that stuff. And um, it, was a, it was a really cool moment. It just was a, it was a really cool week. Um, all around, so it was um, it was really something, man. And just had everybody just talk about it. Just you know, I you know how you talked about there's a guy that you worked with or used to work with that had never seen Star Wars. Yes. At this stage, <laughs> forget that. At this stage, when I run into people that have never seen um, the trailer yet, right? I go, what? How can you how can you not have seen the trailer yet? <laughs> like, well, I have kids, you know, and I'm very busy. Like, no, I get but stop what you're doing. And yeah, go watch it's two minutes out of your life. How can you not have seen this yet? The whole world has seen it and is talking about it. Um uh yeah, it was it was quite a um quite a moment. And again, you know, a lot of the other things you know, we've talked about on the show uh, about everything we're hearing out of that camp is stuff we want to be hearing about how things are done, you know, like bringing back <clears throat> Lawrence Kasdan right. and practical effects and stuff. But now learning that that desert planet is not Tatooine and the snow planet is not Hoth. It's like, I, I, I'm excited by that too. You know, I, I don't want Tatooine to be, you know, the the Playboy Mansion of the Star Wars universe. Well, what worries me is, you know, inadvertently sort of reading things and picking little things up here and there that I don't mean to, that initially I sort of look at or read and go, oh, that's, you know, that's probably just a vicious rumor. Um, can that, how can that be, um, how can that be really where the story's going? Right. And then... Um, seeing this trailer and certain elements in the trailer, <clears throat> I kind of thought, oh, maybe that is where it's going, you know? And that kind of that made me, I guess. Does that make sense? Uh, I, th- I think so. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Well, but... well just, just some, th- um, like you said, you know, we know that that's not Hoth now, we know whatever, but, but there were a few little things in the trailer that I'd kind of read as rumor that actually seemed to kind of come true. Okay. Like who this person's playing or, you know, what that, that guy, you know, heading away from camera, that's actually this character. And then finding out who that character really is and things like that. And so, you know, some things that I've read, I don't, I don't want to know. And I certainly don't want them to be true um, where this is concerned because now I'm getting so excited about this, you know, um, 
let's just say that I, I understand that we have a whole new cast <clears throat> that has to be brought in and established and moved forward in these stories. But so much of this, so much of the excitement of this has surrounded the fact that the original cast are in this thing. And the proof of that is, and, and the proof of just how monumental Harrison Ford is to this thing and Han Solo is, you know, while you hear Luke's voice in the trailer, everyone knew the shot that was going to get everybody to just, their hearts melt, was going to be Han and Chewie. Right. And also, the characters chosen for the cover of Vanity Fair were Han and Chewie. So yep. having said that, I, I just hope that they get utilized as much as possible in this story and that it's not just let's, you know, do cameos, get kick this thing off, hand the baton off and blend into the background kind of thing. Right. I hope that there's more to it because that's never really been done. We haven't really had that much. Maybe, yeah. maybe Jeff Bridges in, uh, in Tron where he's, He's a pretty prominent character, you know, throughout that thing. Yeah. Uh, but we haven't had it on, on this on this scale, so. That is true. I hope that, that we get it. So what happened was I, <clears throat> I was in, in Minnesota <clears throat> the week before this trailer kicked off and everything else and um, completely had forgotten about this until I got back, which was I'd been invited to this super secret screening in Westwood that Monday night, the Monday before the trailer hit, before celebration, this super secret uh, screening of a 35 millimeter print of Star Wars, the original Star Wars, not special edition, no digital effects, no nothing. This is the original deal. It was a UK uh, print, I guess, from 1979. I think they said, and you know, it, it was it was our Star Wars. It was like being in the theater. Again, uh, you know, when you were eight or nine years old watching this thing. Um, and, you know, the scratches were there and the skips in the film and things like that. And it was just, it was really an experience. But I have to say, <laughs> um, I've seen, you know, we, we know this movie. It's, our, it's our, our religion. Like, we know it backwards and forwards. I would eat this movie if it were sitting in front of me. I love it so much. But for the very first time, <laughs> seeing it on the big screen like that and seeing the original uh, untouched version, man, I noticed every wart and every mistake and every, you know, uh, bit of paint drying, you name it, in this thing. Um, you know, I think I might have mentioned to you, like, like there's a shot, there's a wide shot where 3PO is talking to Owen and there's like an electrical cord coming out of 3PO's neck. <laughs> That's just it's 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 like coming out of his neck and it's sort of sticking out as if they sort of tucked it in towards his back, but it kind of popped out or something. A shot, in other words, a, a little detail in a shot that's glaringly obvious when you see it on the big screen like that. But maybe back in the day, because he was under so much pressure and what, like in other words, I'm watching this thing and and for the first time, I'm kind of understanding where these voices at Fox or whatever were coming from when they were going, oh, my God, we're in such trouble. And I'm seeing the finished product. Like, I can't imagine seeing a work print of this and wondering, oh, my God, where did the, where did the money go? Because 
because, you know, you know, our, you know, there were certain adults at the time that were going, ugh, you're going to see that movie again? It's not that great. You know, now I kind of see it with different eyes and I kind of go, yeah, you know, it, 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 it's the dialogue is, you know, I mean, I think that Peter Cushing and Harrison Ford are the only two that really seem to be believing in everything that they're saying. You know, even Alec Guinness is very stilted. It's very much like he's on stage doing a stage production of something. Um, and there's, you know, all kinds of mistakes and things breaking and falling down and whatever. And it's all there. I mean, I love it. I love it even more because of it. But it just, for the first time, I kind of was imagining what it must have been like seeing some of this stuff or participating in it because it was so, you know what I'm saying? Like nobody, nobody could have looked into the crystal ball and had any idea this thing was going to work the way that it did. Right. Nobody expected it to. And um, it was really interesting to, to, to see it that way. So that was a fun way to kick off the week. And then Tuesday night was Neil Finn at uh, Largo, which was a phenomenal, like one of my top five live shows of all time. Unbelievable. It was he and his son, Liam. And then Wednesday night. You're welcome. Well, you know what's funny? I, I don't know if I told you this. I couldn't get tickets. Oh, really? No, I couldn't. You, you hit me to the, to the info, and then, you know, I'm, I'm trying and trying and trying just before they go on sale. Like, you know, you keep trying, keep trying. And then as soon as they hit noon, da, 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 and then 12.01, ba, 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 oh, no tickets available. Like, they sold out in, like, 30 seconds, I guess. But wow. because of someone that, that we know, <clears throat> you know, we got in, and it was a phenomenal, phenomenal show. Wednesday night was The Replacements. Uh, you know, Minneapolis band who I had never seen live, but I got uh, tickets at the last minute. Um, my buddy Daniel Soyseth couldn't go. So that was amazing. That was like old home, old home week. And then Thursday was the trailer. And then Friday I went to celebration. I got a pass for, for celebration and ran into you, you kids. So it was kind of like a Star Wars, you know, musical history week for me. Yeah, and and being at celebration, you know, I've I've been to I went came to the uh, the last one uh, that I think was that was in Los Angeles that was around episode three after episode oh, three had come out. That was oh yeah, that and that was it. But that wasn't yeah, that was not in Anaheim, right? That was the, that's right. That was at the L.A. Convention, Convention Center. Center. Okay, that's yeah, right. And you know, it was it was an okay show. You kind of saw it and went well, all right, mm-hmm. but being at this celebration with all the new hype and it was it was maybe one of the best convention experiences of my life. Everyone was excited about the same thing. Uh the show I felt was really well handled. I know there I know there were some pretty crazy lines for things, uh especially the the store exclusive merchandise that was there. I, I don't think they ever quite cracked that nut, but seeing like all those full scale props and sets. Oh yeah, those uh, all the all the costume stuff, all the R two units. Uh, I, I just thought it was it was terrific, and it, it was just everyone was so happy to be there. Well, you know what's happening, and I'm going to say this, and I realize some things that we say you can't please everybody, uh, but you know. Look, the, the, the I hate the world and everyone's a dick, you know, attitude that I throw out. I mean, a good, good chunk of that is, is for laughs. A good chunk of that is 
me being goofy and knowing that people respond to that to that stuff. I love people. I'm a people person. I mean, I hate people, but I like individuals. Um, but um, but what I'm saying is like it's 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 fun to kind of play that up and go, well, what is that about? And why are they this? And why are they, you know? But I mean, it's all great. Like I always talk about leaving Comic Con as crazy as Comic Con is. Every time you get it in your rearview mirror, you get a little wistful because it's like. It's the one time of the year, like, you can live your geek stuff, and you can love it, and bump into people here and there, or have certain friends that you connect with, but to be in a spot where everybody's on the same page, and, and also is a pleasant experience. It's not like, a, not that sporting events can't be pleasant, or, you know, whatever, but like, you know, it's like not a concert where certain people might be getting hammered, and they could bump into, you know, something terrible could happen, or, like, like, that... Harry Potter, remember that stabbing with the pen, you know, a few years ago or whatever it was? Yeah. Like, that is probably the only sort of violent thing I've heard of at Comic-Con. I don't know if you hear of such things, but, but you know, when you get that many people together in a room, generally something, something bad is going to happen or something's going to kick off or whatever. Um, and everybody's just having a good time and loving what they're into. And it was the same thing with the Star Wars celebration thing. Um, now, having said all that, the reason that I think people listen to the show is we're not a couple of automatons. We have opinions. You like certain things. I like certain things. You don't bother with things. I don't like certain things, etc. Um, but I, I think that it's okay to go, well, you know, this thing I love and this thing I don't care for so much. I'm going to say this. The thing that Abrams... He can't lose. He cannot lose because all he has to do is show up and shoot a movie, and he's he's good because he's it's going to be better than what we got with those prequels. I know I know there are people that love those movies. I understand there's a generation that I'm not part of, and you know, young kids, whatever. You're entitled. I don't like them. I think they're absolute abominations, and the reason that they hurt. You know, my perspective so much is that we waited so long for them. But also, if you really put a gun to your head and you went, if, if okay, if I can rewind the tape and go back to the, the mid-90s and say, okay, here's your choice. Let's, say, let's take a Kickstarter poll or whatever. Do you, want, do you want the three prequels to come at you or do you want three brand new movies that take place after Return of the Jedi? I'll bet you the good majority of people would have voted for the latter. And the reason is there's not a lot in the way of tension. It's like if Superman were your guy in every movie, unless the bad guys all have, you know, guns made of kryptonite, at a certain point it's kind of like, well, where's, where's the tension? He's Superman. You know, he's going to be okay or things are going to turn out fine. And the prequels, there's not a lot in the way of tension because we, we know the fate of all of these characters pretty much. And so there's not a whole lot in the way of, you know, stakes or whatever. And also, anyway, so those things get made, they're horrific. And the problem was he had the most beloved trilogy of all time that he had to live up to. So, you know, he always said from day one, Luke is like, well, we're going to get ready because the bricks are going to start flying no matter what we do. It's like, yeah, yeah, you made crappy movies and crappy scripts, but there's a there's a good chunk that that love them. Well, now with this, the the taste that's most fresh in everyone's mouths are those damn prequels, and so he can't lose because 
he's going to be measured by the prequels. You want to get back to the flavor, the seasoning of those original movies and why those worked. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. but uh, the thing that everyone's going to be thinking of is please don't be the prequels, please don't be the prequels. So he can't he can't lose. And with that comes the celebration and all things Star Wars. And for the longest time, because of these prequels, when I would tell people that I love Star Wars, I had to quantify it now. You never used to have to quantify it. You never, right. you never used to have to go, oh, but, you know, just Star Wars and Empire, not, not Jedi and the bits over here. It was just, I love the Star Wars trilogy, period. And now, because of the prequels, you have to go, okay, but not the new shit. Just right, the, right. the stuff. Well, now it's like there's this seismic shift, and I think we're getting back to being able to absolutely, without um, hesitation, embrace Star Wars again, at least for me. Because of what we're seeing with this, with this new movie and where these things are gonna are gonna go, you know what I'm saying? I do, yeah, yeah. And I think that's I think that's probably how a lot of people feel about this this thing. But we've seen, you know, th- there's a lot <clears throat> different about JJ and just kind of how he's handling this. Like uh, the the craziest story out of Celebration, I thought was they let people start lining up for that arena Wednesday at 6 p.m. And then you just sleep all night in line and then get in to see the thing. Now, this is this is the thing that you were just talking about, the appearance of the cast and everything. That's right. Yeah, the, the, the opening ceremonies kicking it Got off. Got it. And sometime around 10 o'clock on Wednesday night, J.J. Abrams himself showed up with a ton of pizzas uh, for the people in line. That's cool. And you just think George Lucas would probably never, ever do that. Um, no, probably not. Probably not. He probably, he'd probably send someone to do it. Yeah. He'd send Steve Sansweet to do it. Right. Did you see... Oh, you... Uh, did you get to see Sansweet? Uh, they were showing him during the opening ceremonies, watching... Like the trailer and stuff? No, but I'm about to say something about Sansweet that's probably not going to make me very popular, and I really don't care, but go ahead. It was just, I just thought it was very sweet, because he was just, you know, he was just like the rest of us, in tears. He had his hands on his mouth, but... Yeah, but he's a big... <laughs> a big what? I mean, what's going on? Like, what, what happened? Uh, first of all, cosplay, cosplay your ass off. I don't. I don't care. Not my bag. Are you talking to me or saying just, just everybody? Go ahead and cosplay like crazy. Not my okay. thing. I enjoy seeing it, you know. And people walk like, oh, that guy's so and so. Like, there's some cool stuff. I mean, most of the stuff I could just could walk right past me, and I don't care. And then you and I were at celebration. I remember we both were talking about the guy that was dressed like the the hammerhead action figure. Yes, yes. <laughs> from seventeen eight or seventy nine or whatever. That's the yeah. best costume I'd seen at the at the whole thing. I don't get that whole scene, or whatever. But you know, you're 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 entitled. But something is happening where the cosplay people are like, I'm seeing them like sign autographs and stuff. I I just don't know when this happened. Where all of a sudden, and so we're walking around, and there's a ginormous booth. For Steve Sansweet for for Rancho Obi Wan, yeah, selling Rancho Obi Wan merchandise, 
bringing his collection. This to me is the equivalent of like when they when they would tour Elvis's, you know, Rolls Royce or whatever, and, or you know, Liberace's outfits and, and limo, you know, toured the country, but Liberace didn't, and people just went to see the car and his outfits and stuff. This is the equivalent. Like he just pulled stuff out of his basement and put it in a display case, and this is this is an attraction at at celebration. And, yeah. and Rancho Obi Wan T-shirts. Like, would you wait in line for a Rancho Obi Wan T-shirt? I mean, I went and saw his his display. Yeah. Well, I looked at some of this. I mean, I looked at the display, whatever. But I mean, like, you'd get a Rancho Obi Wan T-shirt. Uh, maybe. I mean, I'd like to go and see his collection at Rancho Obi Wan. Not yeah. buy a Rancho Obi Wan T-shirt. I have not. No, and you wouldn't. I know that you wouldn't. You would. If I went to the place, I might. Yeah. Okay, I don't. I don't get that. I don't get how this guy has become a minor celebrity in the Lucasfilm. Like, where were we this? Di- and here's. I think this is part of it too. We grew up looking at magazines like Starlog or whatever else, and I would. I would certainly look at pictures from conventions as a kid in you know St. Paul, Minnesota, and think, this. What is this convention they're speaking of? This will never. This will never come to Minnesota. Like a sci-fi convention or a Star Trek convention or whatever um, would never make it because it was it was always something for you know New York or Los Angeles or Chicago whatever it just they didn't make their way but the thing you saw over and over again were the Star Trek guys and actors being at these things and this is not taking anything away from anybody it was a different time where that was a godsend for those guys because whether they were getting work or not. There certainly wasn't anything in the way of residuals for the for the old show, and so that was a big boost to their you know incomes and careers to go to these these shows. Star Wars has always been in a different bracket where it's been so universally loved, and you know it really hasn't been till the past fifteen or twenty years, I think, even that Mark Hamill would kind of show up to things. I know he kicked off Star Wars in San Diego back in seventy six, but it's not like. He he made a bunch of convention appearances in the late 70s and early 80s. It just wasn't a thing for Star Wars people to do. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, and so, so you know, coming to Celebration, whatever, like, like, there's so few in the cast. The main, you got your main guys, and then you've got the next tier, which is, you know, Anthony Daniels and Dave Prowse and whatever. And then you've got, like, the lady who was dressed up as Greedo on the set that day that, 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 that goes to, to stuff. And now you've got like sand suite. Like, I don't, I just, I don't know when this, <laughs> this turned around where like sand suite has become someone that there was a huge line. There was a huge line to get in to see him and, and have him sign something. Yeah. He's, he's just a guy that collects star Wars toys. Well, no, he was, he was an actual Lucasfilm employee. Right, I know. He he became the he, fan liaison. Right, with, and now yeah. he is a published author, and people were having him sign books. I know, but he's not. That's it's just like any other guy signing a book. But it's a, but it's a guy. He's You've not, gone to book signings, right? But he's not doing anything original. You're comparing you're comparing him putting a price guide together or an archive together of other people's material and other people's work and signing it. You're making that the equivalent of John Grisham showing up, rest in peace, you know, doing a signing. It's not the same thing. That's, sure a, that's an author with an original piece of work that they created and they're signing. He's a guy that put a price guide together 
And it, it's not just a price guide, though. Like his whole, it is. the not, whole booth he had, no, and the answer, and his new book, I wouldn't st- was he was showing off uh, the fan pop art that he had curated and collected. Right. Again, nothing that you've said would get me to stand in line. Well, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be for you. But clearly other people enjoyed it and wanted to do that. A ton of people showed up and were in line for this thing. I don't understand it. I don't understand grabbing someone from cosplay and having them sign your poster. And I don't understand waiting in line to have Steve Sansweet sign his book. I I don't know when that became the next tier of whatever. I, I don't think it's anything significant. I don't think he's done anything significant other than collect shit for 40 years and archive it. I don't think it's the same thing as going to Barnes and Noble, you know, for, um, you know, David Sedaris or whatever, you know, doing a a book signing. I I don't think it's the same thing. No. And I think that he's, he's done a very, I think that's splitting hairs. I mean, it's just, it's like if someone put together like the art of Tron book, it's like they didn't draw any of that. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't wait in line to have him. Sign it. Now, I waited in line for Bruce Tim and Radomsky and um, uh, uh, Paul Dini, you know, that when they did a signing in Beverly Hills for the Batman the Animated Series book, because their stuff permeates everything in that book and everything creative about that show. They had their fingers in it. And that I don't think that's splitting hairs. I think that's that's a body of work that they're actively participating in. Anyway, we're not going to agree on this. I just I I. I see things like that and walk past them and go, yeah, you know, not my thing. If you dig it, fine, go ahead, but I don't understand that. I don't have to embrace the entire geek community of all this stuff. You know, I don't have to, uh, you know, agree with, you know, the, the 501st. If that's your thing, go ahead. I don't have to go, oh, yeah, that's really cool or whatever, because I don't, I don't have to like all this stuff. Can I just say this is the one thing we talked about at the show with your wife as well, that was initially hilarious, but, 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 but really sad. The sign that was up when you went to get your tickets for passes for the show, there was the sign up that said cosplay is not consent. And yes, I just thought that was the saddest. I can't believe that a sign had to be made saying, you know, if you want to take your picture with somebody in costume, you know, please, first of all, ask them. But also, it doesn't mean you can grope them, you know, when, they're, when, when you're taking the, the, the photo. So that was happening enough where enough people had to, had to say something, and the establishment had to make a sign that said, yeah. you know, keep your hands to yourself. Yeah, there, there's been a couple of pretty awful high-profile things that happened, specifically at Comic-Con the past couple of years that have led a bunch of conventions to start having to post those signs. You mean, you mean at, like, at the show, like, like someone yes. in cosplay and someone does something at the show, or wherever it is, because they're in costume of some kind? Like, like, Correct, yes. You don't have to go into detail, but something like... Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I think one of the first ones to kick it off had to do with Adrian Curry and one of her friends... Uh, at one of the shows, a, a guy came up. They were they were like uh, a guy came up and pulled a girl's pants down. Uh, that was with Adrian. Curry. Can you wait? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can now. Yeah. Okay, I just lost you. All I I literally heard you come back and said, 
pulled a girl's pants down. That's all I heard. Yeah. Can you go back? What what happened? So it was the one of the primary ones was Adrian Curry was with some of her friends. They were dressed up. They were in the gas lamp district, and a guy just came up behind her friend and pulled her pants down on the street. I, I and don't... she chased him down. She was dressed as the animated Catwoman, and like chased him down. And I think they called the cops on that guy. Wow. Wow. That's that's horrific. That's awful. Yeah. That's awful. You know. Um, that's awful. I mean, that's awful. I mean, if if, you're, if these people are even getting photographs taken and, like, someone inadvertently puts their hand somewhere or whatever, it's like, what, what is going on? Like, and again, you know, nothing excuses that. Nothing excuses yeah. it, period. But what I'm saying is it is a different environment than it was, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago when you, you know, go to show. You know, I never saw, you know, women walking around in costume really and if they yeah. if they were they certainly weren't in anything racy and again they should be you should be allowed to wear whatever the hell you want walking around the show and not have a fear of somebody grabbing you but clearly it's affecting certain members of the population that you know whatever their brain can't process or goes into overdrive around such things. And I just thought that was so sad to, to read that sign. Like, oh, man, they really have to clarify this? Yeah. And say, you know, please keep your, your freaking you know, hands to yourself. Um, that was sad. But, um, but everything was cool. Now, the other thing that was cool about the show was, you know, you go to these shows and, like, this table's got the same thing as that table dealer and that tends, oh, and there's a different, there's a toy company. They've got their own stuff. And then there's a, you tend to kind of see a lot of the same stuff from table to table, every now and then you come across uh, a store or a dealer or whatever that has stuff that you're just like, oh, my God. And I found a table that had stuff that was mind-blowing. Like, they had – do you remember the shoe company Clark's made Star Wars shoes? Yeah. They had about 15 pairs of kids' Star Wars shoes. Like, like in the shoe box with the Star Wars art, inside – the shoes were pristine. They had the plastic bag that even came with it and, like, the stickers of Darth yeah. Vader and stuff. Like, like that kind of stuff. That Every now and then I'd come across a table that had stuff regarding Star Wars that I had never seen in person before. And it was all because they brought out the, their best stuff from the archives to bring to, you know, Star Wars Celebration. Yeah. You know, Did you see the table that was just selling old... Uh uh, movie programs, the magazines and stuff. Old movie. Pro um, I we might have even flipped through some of those. They had like Flash Gordon and Wrath of Khan and Superman two and three. Oh, we, and we might have, but but there was a there was one guy that had programs, and he had all these British annuals. Oh, nice! Of like Star Wars and Star Trek and all this weird, you know, late seventies, you know, annual weirdness. Um. And the, and the same guy had in Japan. I love the netherworld of Star Wars between when the movie came out and right before Empire came out. When all this weird stuff, like like the whole universe hadn't been figured out yet. You know, there was no one called Panda Baba. You know, it was Walrus Man or whatever. And um, <clears throat> in Japan, especially, there was a Japan and the UK. There was a whole series of stuff that came out that's just mental, like just weird designs and 
you know, like Takara did those. Was it Takara that did the the diecast 3PO and Vader and R2? I think so, yeah. And R2 had like missiles that shot out of his head and yeah. know, it was crazy stuff like that. And in Japan, they had these little candy boxes where one half of the box was, you know, whatever the candy was. And the other half was like these little tiny Star Wars figurines. And there were like 50 of them that you had to collect and find, like ships, the droids, you know, Vader or whatever. And uh, this guy had like a good, you know, 20 or 30 of these little uh, Japanese candy prizes, which I'd never seen before. Um, Steve Sansweet has them all, but I've never seen them before. And so I got, he had like a little orange Millennium Falcon. Um, it was like 10 bucks. So I, I picked that up. Did you pick anything up at the show? Did you get any of the exclusives or any of the, any, anything that you, that you, that you saw that was just, you had to have kind of thing at the, at the show? Uh, I think the only thing I picked up was, uh, the gentle giant jumbo droid C3PO. Oh, you got that. The yellow one. Yeah. Oh, that, that was cool. Yeah. I actually kind of wanted to get that. Um, well, there was a, wasn't there like a um, Shogun Warrior type Boba Fett too? That was it. Super Seven was doing it or somebody. Uh, it was Funko, yeah. And I guess they did it with Super Seven, but yeah, that that the Boba Fett sold out within the first half hour of the show. Wow. On Thursday. Wow. They did still have some of the Shadow Troopers, but and the Boba Fett will be available again in a with a different paint scheme. This the one at Celebration was painted to look like the Kenner figure. The, okay, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. The blue, the like baby blue and red and everything. Um, speaking of Star Wars, can we stay on Star Wars for a few more minutes and talk about uh, <clears throat> Josh Trank? Sure. So Josh Trank was going to be, we've got two spinoff movies already confirmed. One is Rogue One, which is... What's his name? Looper? What's the guy? Looper? Yeah, Mr. Looper. Mr. Looper. Ryan... Uh, Philippi. Ryan Philippe <laughs> doing Rogue One. That's not true. And um, the other one that we've now confirmed is Boba Fett, This Is Your Life, I think it's called. Because, you know, what everybody's been clamoring for is Man of Mystery, Boba Fett... <laughs> To have all the all the questions answered about him because that's what makes right. him so appealing. Um, they're doing a Boba Fett movie, and it was going to be this Josh Trank fella, who um, who who most people know did Chronicle, but he was also the guy that I mean I say was because I feel like he's been removed from this as well, but he's also <laughs> the guy that did um, the new Fantastic Four, yeah, with Billy Elliot and. Uh, Whiplash, and the girl from House of Cards. Yes. And uh, so he got shit-canned. I'm sorry. He left the Star Wars Boba Fett movie because he wanted to pursue personal um, uh, things, I guess, or something. Yep. <clears throat> he uh, just wasn't the right time for him, apparently, to do a Star Wars movie. Yes. He had other stuff he needed to... <clears throat> needed to do, and so he's um, he's no longer part of that world. Um, I'm hearing terrible things about Fantastic Four, besides what we've already seen, but just <clears throat> how he was creatively on that thing, and 
how he treated people and, and so on. Uh, so he's no longer with um, the Boba Fett thing. Do we have another name that's been thrown out yet? Uh, boy, do we? I feel like I might have seen another name. The, the, the crazy thing about that, though, was, uh, I, and I don't, you know, I didn't talk about it, but I had heard a couple of weeks before Celebration that he had already been removed from that project. Like, things had gone so poorly on Fantastic Four with those reshoots uh, that he he had been pulled. So when they made that big announcement that the Rogue One guy and he would be appearing together on Sunday, I thought, oh, well... Maybe my source got it wrong. That's that's interesting. Oh, okay. So you had a pretty good idea that he wasn't going to show up. Well, I I mean I I thought ahead of time, yeah. But then when they announced that, I was like, oh. But then when he didn't show up because he was ill, it was like, oh. And then you know they wait a couple of weeks while the excitement dies down, and then quietly say, oh, and by the way, he won't be here anymore. And uh, the other interesting thing is one of the producers on Fantastic Four is the same producer on some of the Star Wars things. So he had sort of firsthand knowledge of Mr. Trank's shenanigans. Well, what shenanigans? By both he and his dog. What are you kind of hearing about? I heard about the dogs making, you know, $100,000 with the damage in the house or whatever that he wouldn't pay for or some shit. But what other shenanigans are you hearing day to day on the set? Uh, I will tell you that offline. Tell me it offline? Yes. Well, can't you say, you don't have to get specific with names and stuff, but you you can't say what, you, you know, was it that he wasn't showing up to the set, or he was using racial slurs, or can you give us anything? Uh, I, I would still prefer to say it offline. Okay, well, I can tell you what I've heard. Okay. Which is um, that he was in way over his head, that he wasn't communicative with uh, the studio, that um, with Fantastic Four he he wasn't receptive to you know changes or or being you know compromising with the you know creative meetings and things like that, um, and he shouldn't have been given the keys to that particular uh, castle, I guess, and where Star Wars was concerned. He got to be like unreachable, from what I understand, like like not even being accessible to to kick things off, apparently. Right. And I mean, it had to be more than just whatever was sort of happening with this new Star Wars thing. It had to be a reflection on how things went with Fantastic Four, because I think that's really where the proof was in the pudding, where they're keeping an eye on what he's doing with this particular franchise, you know before they committed to the new one. And I think I think it's it's I don't think it was done on a whim. Clearly there were issues or there were problems because um you know, there's a lot of money and time and effort that's already been spent to get this thing up to speed and start moving oh, yeah. that you've invested in this person. Um to remove them, you have to go yeah, it it makes more financial sense to, you know, cut cut off the limb now and let the gangrene spread. Yes. If <laughs> you forgive the medical metaphor. <laughs> um, uh, but on that note... Uh, I think they made the right choice. Right. On that note, um, uh, Suicide Squad, Jared Leto, is this something you're excited about? 
uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested to see that project. There, there's a lot of see it. DC characters in that film that have never been on screen before that I'd very much like to see make an appearance. Yeah, I'm there. I'll be there. And I mean, they I think they're clearly making up for lost time and trying to get as much packed into each one of these things as possible because they have a decade's worth of Marvel to catch up on. <laughs> Um, so hence all the characters in Batman, Superman, all the characters in Suicide Squad. Obviously, it's a it's a book to begin with, but whatever. Jared Leto, who I, I love, I've always liked him. I think he's a great actor. I just want to say, I hope, I wish it'd be nice if we're going to go in a slightly different direction with the Joker this time. That instead of being the wacky, crazy, bouncing off the walls lunatic, that maybe he was, you know. <laughs> It's just like, you know, you've seen Daredevil. We've got we to gotta hit each one of these topics very quickly now because we've spent so much time on Star Wars. Um, have you seen all of Daredevil now? Yes. Did you enjoy Daredevil? Enjoyed the crap out of Daredevil. Loved it is, it. I loved every... It is a love letter uh, to Marvel fans. I couldn't, I couldn't digest it fast enough. Like, I just, I, you know, I'd, I'd watch like three in a, in a sitting. Um, all along... This Batman, Superman, all along, Fantastic Four, I've been saying there is not a word or an image that's been printed or whatever yet that I've gone, ooh, that gets me interested. All along, Batman, Superman, again, nothing personal against Affleck, and I don't, I don't think he'll be, he'll be terrible, but not the guy that I would have chosen by a long shot. Cavill, I think, is just fine, but give him something to do. But then when I hear, like, Jesse Eisenberg, I go... You know, when I think of Lex Luthor, and I am not Wikipedia when it comes to comic books. I, I truly do not know the inside-outside history of all these freaking characters like people do. But watching Vincent D'Onofrio in uh, the Daredevil series, that's what I kind of point to and go, that's kind of who Lex Luthor should be. Not, not that guy specifically, and not everything that he did, not every aspect. But he should be a large, imposing character... That is maybe slightly soft-spoken, but has a temper if you cross him the wrong way. And either people are attracted to this person from across the room because of the qualities I just listed, or they're afraid of this person from across the room because they know that they've got this silent sort of menace bubbling under the, under the surface. That's who Lex you know, you, Lex Luthor has to be as charismatic you know, as Superman to hold the attention of the room. And to be this this uh, character in the city that's that's well known and you know has a certain following or whatever, Eisenberg, I just go, what are you? That to me is the equivalent of of Topher Grace as as Eddie Brock, <laughs> and Eddie, and Eddie Brock is a character that's not interesting. Luthor is interesting. There's layers to that character and. Um, their hatred for Superman and all that, all that stuff. Having said all that, and again, this is I'm I'm giving you unfiltered. This is this is you know fried gold here. Truth truth gold that I'm giving. unfiltered fried gold. I'm not I'm not trying to go like you know well this and that and, and please everybody. It's like no, this is how I think about this, and I'm not. I'm, I, I want everything to be great. I want all this stuff to be fantastic. I want more of the of the stuff that we've gotten and it to get better and you know all the time. Having said all that, I was very critical of Man of Steel. Uh, I was critical of the trailers. I was critical of the finished product. I've been pretty vocal about 
Batman, Superman, and some of the choices being made and decisions or whatever. Certainly been vocal about Fantastic Four and how it looks like a big pile of of dog diarrhea. Having said all that, I have to say the Superman Batman uh, trailer that got released. Yeah, I might be one of the only people, based on all the stuff I'm seeing on Facebook and the comments being made. I might be one of the only people that thinks that looks pretty good. And okay. Especially, especially, I can't believe when the trailer was done that I kind of went. Uh, yeah, that kind of feels like Batman to me. Is it too dark? Is it too rainy? Is it too somber? Again, all the all the above, all the complaints that people have about where these things are going. Yes. But the few seconds we got of uh, of Batman, I thought, yeah, that, that, that feels like Batman. I also think people are they're too beholden to the Frank Miller stuff. Like, you know, it's it, it's brilliant. You know, that first one, that was a brilliant milestone but that's not that's not everything that happened between batman and superman you know anyway right. that that did you have any response? speaking of which there's a new dark knight coming from frank miller <laughs> yeah but guess who's not drawing it episode three guess who's not going to be drawing it yeah frank miller yeah he can no longer put pen to paper um uh, yeah, because that second one was had left so many questions unanswered. That second, that second Dark Knight. Um, the big question in the second Dark Knight was, can you tell any of these characters apart <laughs> in the actual book itself? Um, when you saw the Batman Superman trailer, any thoughts? Do you are you excited about this? Are you eh? What? Give me something. Uh, you know, it's again. It, they they showed us about a minute's worth of stuff, and uh, that's not enough for me to say yay or nay. But I, I mean, I'm certainly going to see it. You know, uh, I've told the story many times about uh, my buddy, who was uh, at the time he was the head of movies of the week and miniseries at CBS, got a meeting with Paul Levitz. This was probably I don't know, eleven to thirteen years ago. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. Because he wanted to do uh, a DC project on CBS at the time, as like a, as a miniseries, and Paul Levitz looked at him and said, "Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman will never ever be on screen together in our lifetime." Wait, who said that? Paul Levitz. You love it at Levitz. Did you have Levitz where you grew up? Yes. You did? Yeah. Oh, so you know that that reference? I do. Oh, there you go. Is that okay? Of course, I didn't. I thought it was uh, maybe a, just a Minnesota thing. I wasn't sure it was a national uh, thing. We had them. We had them in Oklahoma. You love it, it love it. Uh, I don't remember the the fart sound. No, the, the raspberry was not in the original commercial. But I'm just. Asking. I see. Um, huh. Well, what does he know, right? Well, at the time, you know, it was it was sort of like all the stuff that was going on at Marvel, where all the rights were such a nightmare, and you know, the DC still thought that. It would confuse people to have, you know, Aquaman on an animated series as well as Smallville, and so they had to cut out one of them. Uh, but a lot has changed since then. Uh, you know, Marvel has sort of changed the, turned the tide on a lot of that. So I, for me, it's a very exciting time in a young nerd's life uh, to say, you know what, they are going to be on screen together, and I will be in that theater. Uh, I will be there, of course. I wouldn't. I wouldn't miss it. Uh, let me just uh, give you a little bit of uh, more um, uh, truth missiles. Uh, this is just sort of hitting. 
uh, and and since when we <laughs> record these things, they're dated the second we <laughs> we wrap them because you know the internet moves that fast. We're not a live show for God's sake. So Captain America: Civil War, just to kind of I mean most of this I think is kind of known, but just as an official sort of rundown. Uh, in addition to Cap and Iron Man, um, and then of course Martin Freeman who just signed on board. We don't know what his character is yet. Paul right. Rudd will be in as Ant-Man. Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther. Um, Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter slash Agent 13. Sebastian Stan, Bucky Barnes. Baron Zemo will be in it. Frank Grillo as Crossbones. William Hurt is coming back as General Ross, Thunderbolt Ross. I wonder what yep. happened to him, if we were going to have any connection to that... that um, Ed Norton Hulk movie, but he's coming back. Freeman, Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, Anthony Mackie as the Falcon, The Vision, Hawkeye. <laughs> I thought Hawkeye was done. Oops, spoilers. Uh, War Machine and Scarlet Witch. Wow. In addition, Spider-Man's going to show up in that too. Right. And, and uh, there's a good chance, I mean, if they, depending on how closely they follow the comic book, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, needs to be in it as well. Because he was one of the attorneys on one of the sides. Oh, man. That would just be... Well, you know, now it's time, I think, to move the conversation to the Avengers. Um, Whedon has been pretty vocal. Joss Whedon's been pretty vocal this week. Now that the movie's out, about some of the battles that he that he fought with, with Marvel. And while I love Whedon, I don't love everything he's done. I love... Firefly, Serenity, I love his run on um, the Marvel comic, the X-Men comic that he did. I love what he's done with the Avengers. I do kind of, at a certain point, kind of go, why, stop your, stop bitching. They wanted you to take this little thing out, and you wouldn't, but they insisted on putting this in. And You know, he was complaining about, not only did he have the stuff to juggle in his story, he then also had to juggle the puzzle pieces to get them to line up with what was coming in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in, you know, Phase Three, but it seems right. like it's like really, do you really want to be bitching about? It? Like you got, you still got to do a two-hour movie pretty much the way you wanted to to do it. But something went, some kind of bad blood's going on there because we know that he's not signed on for any other Marvel movies, and uh, he just he just killed his Twitter account, I guess, the other day, which is. Uh, interesting because he's someone that that tweets uh, all the time. Maybe it's because I don't know. I don't know. But did you obviously you? Well, he did. He did come out and say why he canned his Twitter account. Why did he can his Twitter account? So now that he's not doing Marvel stuff, he's starting to work on his next projects and writing. And he was he just sort of looked and said, you know what? I spend a tremendous amount of time on Twitter. Uh, it's such a great distraction and it's such an easy thing to throw out, you know, Hey, here's this. Hey, here's it. You know? Mm -hmm. And he was like, if I'm really going to focus and get this next project done, I need to not have that distraction. He said, because it wow. was getting to be such a touchstone place for me. Really? It, it was really sort of consuming. That's how my time. I didn't even understand about Twitter. I didn't think it was something. I thought it was something that was so, disposable and so not disposable because once it's out there it's out there but what i mean is these little snippets 
of anything. Little, how many words? How many characters or whatever? What is it? One hundred and forty. Hundred and forty characters. I mean, I didn't think you were able to spend a significant amount of time on Twitter that it would take you away from anything important because the time that you are spending on it is so boom, 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 and and in and out really fast. I can't imagine that it would like ruin a marriage because. Well, I mean, it's it's the same sort of thing, you know, as you get on like Facebook or or YouTube or something. It's like one link leads to the next link. Because it's so short, people just go, oh, here's this cool thing. Here's this cool thing. And if you start following all those links, you know, suddenly it's 4 o'clock in the morning and you haven't had dinner. I see. So he's, he's wasting away. He's not eating either. So. That's, uh, that might be true. Um, okay, so now we know why he did that. Um, let's talk about Age of Ultron. Okay. Thoughts? I, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, there, there were a couple of bizarre choices to me, like why does the robot need to blink? But uh, overall, you know, it, it delivered what I wanted it to deliver. Why does the robot need to have its mouth move? Like, like you know, Vader and 3PO did just fine. We, we, you know, they had body language and they pointed and whatever. We didn't need to see their mouths move. I don't know why this is so important um, to do this with, like, the Transformer guys, and this guy, I didn't get why that was necessary. I loved it. I'm still processing it. I need to see it a second time because... Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely like to see it again. Because it really is, I mean, I feel this way about all the Marvel stuff. For me, it's like the second I sit down, I'm excited, and I'm excited throughout the whole thing because, again, regardless of... None of these have been misses for me. If you think that they are, if anybody does, you're entitled. I think they, across the board, <laughs> every, every, just about every single choice that they've made in these movies, I'm okay with. And that goes for casting. I can think of maybe two characters that I would kind of go, eh. But even those two, I wouldn't go, oh, but God, I can't believe they cast so-and-so. Every time they announce someone else that's been cast in something, it's the right choice, or it just seems like, oh, yeah, that is a great idea. I hadn't thought of that person. And Yeah, they've done great with that. Furthermore, the words that come out of everybody, I mean, this is, these, are, these are not cookie-cutter characters. They're all thinking different things. They're all going through different things. They all have different perspectives. Um, and that's, that's, that's tougher than making another Fast and Furious where everyone is pretty much saying the same badass things. These are individual characters with different backgrounds and perspectives. And having said that, I, I can't think of a time that I've sat through one of these movies and, and thought, uh, you know, I had a scene play out and, and went, oh, God, you know, Cap would never say that. You know, or like Thor would never do that. Like they understand the characters, whoever gets put in charge of such things, whether it's the writer, whatever it is, they get who these, who these characters are. And that's, that's huge. So here you've got, you know, Ultron now that's, 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 that's raised the stakes from the first Avengers movie by adding more characters. I'm fuzzy on a few things, but like when it comes to these group movies, as excited as I am to sit down with any of the others, I'm doubly excited because... You just got you've got so much coming at you so fast for the two hour duration that you you have to go back like if you had it on DVD you'd finish it and pop it right back in again 
because it's a very very dense film. There's a lot a going lot on. A lot going on, and you got to pick up the nuances and stuff. And spoilers if anybody hasn't seen it yet, but we're going to maybe give a few details here and there. And Whedon, people sometimes are kind of hit or miss with with Whedon. Uh, right. I kind of understand. Um, sometimes he's a little predictable, you know, like you pretty much know that someone's going to get sacrificed or, you know, whatever. Sometimes he does the distraction thing so obviously that you kind of go, well, I know where this is going. However, when he does something and it works, it is such a, a Joss Whedon thing to do. Um, and the thing that comes to mind is Thor's hammer. Like, yeah. We saw those clips you know, a month ago. They made their way around the talk shows. They were shown in the trailer, the party sequence. Everyone's trying to pick it up. And then there's the callback. You know the callback I'm talking to? I do, yes. It is so beautifully played. It is so matter-of-fact and so beautifully played that all the other characters in the room are standing there with their jaws hanging open like, what the fuck just happened? And it's, it's a perfect, if you want to point to why Whedon is so good at what he does, that's what I would point to and go, see, that happens every now and then. You go, oh, didn't see that coming. You know? And there's even a bit that I just think was just, it's so subtle. It's beautiful. When the, and the vision, I mean, I can't believe I'm living in a, a day and age where we, we've got the vision, not only in a movie, but that you can go out and if you have a kid, buy them the vision play suit. That they can dress up as the Vision. Like, who thought this was going to... Or the Ultron place. Or the Ultron. Or Hulkbuster. There's a Hulkbuster yeah. kid's uh, play suit. Um, there's a moment where... I forget what's being said or happening, but Vision is still pretty new to the scene, I think. And he kind of glances over at Thor. And very subtly, you see the cape extend behind him. Yeah. Like he's picking up a fashion tip mentally from Thor and goes, ooh, I, I'll have that. I'll do a cape. Yeah, yeah. The cape. Little things like that I just thought were so, so beautifully done and so well handled. You know, all the characters. I still have some questions. I still have some some question marks that I'm going, what did that thing mean? And what? Like, did you understand? The thing that Whedon keeps talking about now is – his stuff that took place in the barn and a lot of his stuff that took place uh, to do with Hawkeye, a good yeah. chunk of that, the, the studio wanted to uh, quash. They wanted, they wanted it pulled, basically. Okay. He said, no, 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 it's got to be. And they said, no, pulled, pulled. But then they put their foot down regarding Thor and Selvig and the cave. They put their foot down, and he was like, what the f- – why? I can't have that, but you want this. And they're, they're basically – he said it got to a point where it was almost like they put a gun to his head and said, if you want anything to do with the barn and whatever else in the movie, you have to put this thing like, – like do or die. This thing with the cave <clears throat> has got to go in your, your movie. And two things they'll say. One, I'm not even sure what that whole sequence was about. Do you understand what that whole thing was about? Thor in the cave? Yeah. Did you get that? Well, uh, I mean, I know that it's setting up Thor 3 Ragnarok. But do you get... So he, he gets a hold of... Or he shows up outside... And and I also know... I mean, it's it's come out that uh, instead of Idris 
Elba being there, that was originally supposed to be Tom Hiddleston as Loki, but they apparently didn't want to pay for him or he was unavailable. Oh, okay. So it was supposed to be Loki. uh, And again, I guess this is spoilers for uh, Thor 2, if you haven't seen it yet, but Loki as Odin. Right. Doing... Oh, I forgot that he was Odin. Yeah. Okay. So. so, so it got tweaked slightly, and then there was a there was another piece uh, that I guess was cut from that sequence of that woman in the cave, which we actually saw in the trailer, but was not in the film. Which there was like a woman with a that you saw from the back that was naked in a pool in a cave. Oh yeah. And that tied into Thor's vision also. Yeah, who was that? So that was just setting up. Thor 3. So we never saw that character in the movie? Correct. You know? Okay, so that whole thing, the cave, the reason that they were so adamant about keeping that in was because it is significant for the third third Thor? Second? Third, yes. third, third. Third Thor movie. Okay, so little things yeah. like that here and there, I still need a little bit of explanation as to, you know whether that's coming from the mythology or it's a brand new thing or whatever. Uh, and, and I would imagine part of their issue with the whole Hawkeye, again, Hawkeye's secret life, shall we say? His, his homosexual lifestyle, you mean? No, no. Oh. The, the, in Avengers 2. Oh, that, uh, yeah. Is that in the comic books... He is married to yeah. uh, another Avenger. Yeah. Who's uh, married to the comics again? Uh, what's her name? Nightbird or something? Songbird? Bird? Songbird? Brain? Big Bird? But that character that he, in theory, marries and starts the West Coast Avengers with has already been established on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. by Adrian Palicki. Oh, okay. So... That character is in the in the larger cinematic universe already. So See, I remember you remember in Avengers One, Stark is asking about uh, Coulson's girlfriend, the cellist. She's a cellist, and there was something else about her that that people started to go, "Oh, he might be the Vision," because I thought. There was a cellist in the Vision's background, or something, or Wanda was played the cello, or some shit. Um, but that, of course, you know, maybe that was misdirection on his part, whatever. The Vision, I thought, was brilliant. Like just, oh, from the moment he showed up, I just wanted more Vision, and you couldn't, you couldn't have got a better guy to play him. And you know, not just his voice, because that to me is how he would probably sound. His right. features. He's got the perfect features to play this guy. And I love that it wasn't like a CG thing. Like it was, as far as I can tell, he was a practical effect. And he was. Yeah, yeah. You know, that. And he looked great. Yeah. Oh, it looked fantastic. Um, oh, just stuff on top of stuff. I'll say this too. Maybe, maybe you observe this. This is an observation I sort of had. And this goes for uh, off screen as well. I feel like for the longest time, Downey was the guy. Like, he was the ambassador of the Marvel world. And he was holding, uh, you know, the hands of all the people that didn't really 
know this world or, or, or weren't sort of comic book people. But ever since the first Iron Man, he's kind of gone, come on, I'm one of you. I'm a, I'm, I love this stuff, but I'm a, I'm a hip guy. Like, I never read comics, but come on, we can all do this together. And he was that guy that sort of, you know, was like that on the talk show. So I feel like a lot of wind has been knocked out of his sails or something. I don't feel like he has been the powerhouse um, of late in promoting this thing. Really? And, and well, what I mean is, still, again, still better than ninety nine percent of the people that you would book on your freaking talk show. Still, yeah. But I feel like the the energy has gone over to Chris Evans. Oh, okay. Which I think is great because I think it's about time that Evans. I think he's so good at what he at what he does with this with this part, and he's good in everything I've seen him in. But he's so good as Cap, and it's it's the one kind of like Thor that you run the most risk of people sort of laughing at because um, he is so earnest. He yeah. is that two-dimensional you know, character. Thor, the smartest thing they ever could have done was not have him speak the way he does in the comic books. Uh, that was a very smart uh, choice. Um, how did you feel about Ruffalo and, and Black Widow? Did that bother you or distract you at all or... No, not at all. I mean, if, you know, again, I felt I always sort of felt like Hulk and 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 Ruffalo and Hawkeye both kind of got short shrifted in the first Avengers. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. And they definitely and, you know, to a lesser extent, maybe Black Widow. But she had a ton to do in uh, Winter Soldier. Yes. So uh, I thought this was probably the most balanced team movie uh, that I've seen uh, like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, just that everyone sort of got their time in the in the spotlight sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. And clearly they were they were giving Hawk. They, they you know, seemed to be very conscious that Hawkeye was toward the background of the first movie. Um, cause he got zapped so early on and then, you know, was bringing up the rear sort of in the, in that one, they put him kind of front and center, uh, in, 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 in this thing, but just the thing, just like the, the, the party sequence, <laughs> I mean, it just was like reading a comic book, you yeah. know, like all those, all those times we saw that, you know, the, the, the team and their downtime, you know, having a little shindig at, you know, whatever mansion or headquarters they're at or whatever. And then just walking around the party, and they're like, oh, there's Tony and, and um, Rhodey talking in the corner. And then there's so-and-so and, and whatever. That was cool. Just little, There's Stan Lee. There's Stan Lee. Little things like that. Little bummed out that we didn't get a post-credits thing. Um, okay. Didn't, didn't hear that anywhere, that we weren't going to have that. And then the one that we did get, what do they call that? It's not the post-credits, it's like mid-credits. The mid-credit bumper. Mid-credit bumper. The one we did get was kind of, eh, you know, it just looked like Thanos was like cleaning out his locker in high school. <laughs> like he opened his locker door and was like, oh, forget it, I'll do it myself. It was just announced today that both Avengers Infinity War movies will be shot entirely with IMAX cameras. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. Um and there you know, again, there's a lot of uh 
little things in Avengers that will lead to larger things. It's the first time we've heard like uh Black Panther's country mentioned. Right. Uh How cool was that? you know, they set up the whole thing with Claw. Yep. With uh Andy Circus, you know, there's just it's it's just was seeding a lot of stuff that will that will come to pass. Yeah, no. Which is exciting. Yeah, just just a love letter, I think. I don't I don't know how you can come out of this and complain. It's okay to nitpick. It's okay to go, yeah, that was a dumb line or you know, I didn't like where that went or whatever. But I don't know how you can be dissatisfied with I don't know how you can be dissatisfied with the Marvel universe, to be honest with you. That all the embarrassment of riches that we've gotten since this thing kicked off, uh, and I stand by there there has never been a cinematic experiment like this in history that we've gotten. That's not just a franchise. It's, it's, you know, half a dozen franchises yeah. that meet up every now and then together. And, you know, just, just, to, just, like I said, across the board, just, just everything uh, uh, about what they're, what they're doing. So I, and we have to say a little more about daredevil too, though. I mean, well, it, yeah, please. it is so well crafted Everyone in Everybody. it. And again, they're pulling, like they have the freaking night nurse, you know. I, no, I would only say the one, the one character, I mean, actor that I would probably say, you got to step up your game, would be uh, Foggy. Foggy started to grate on my nerves. For like right. episode six, I kind of was like, oh, God, really? We got how many more episodes we got? That started to, but again, that's a minor quibble. Like I still am fine with him, you know. But that would be the only thing that I sort of um, would quibble. And the other quibble maybe would be um, I wished we would have gotten to. I don't know how much we're allowed to say now because this is a different animal than like Avengers, where it's two hours of your life. Right. So maybe there's this a good 13 hour movie. Yeah, maybe there's a good chunk of people that haven't. That's the other thing. That's what I kept thinking watching this going, "Oh my god, this is a 13 hour Marvel movie." It's- and and the the maddening thing was once you got to the end of it, you thought, "Well, we know that there's AKA Jessica Jones next. Right. We know there's, you know, uh, Luke Cage. We know there's Power Fist." Right. Or, or uh uh, iron, what is it? Iron hand, iron jaw. Iron, yeah, and then there's defender. So it's like, does that mean it's like six years before we get season two of Daredevil? But they've since come out and oh, said because can't they do them simultaneously? But that wasn't the announcement. Oh, I the original announcement was we're doing these these four things that then lead into defenders. Oh, so wait a minute. So you're saying that even before you started watching this season, your understanding or your brain was going, this is the one and only season we're going to get of, of, of him on his own? Because wherever the story picks up next is going to be a group thing, you're saying? That, that's, that was the announcement, yes. That each of these would sort of dovetail into each other and then become a group thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, maybe that maybe that is it. Maybe the next time we're going to see Daredevil is going to be a guest appearance in 
somebody else's show or or the the group thing. Which is the show? Yeah, because we've we've already seen set pictures of the the Luke Cage actor being in the Jessica Jones show. Right. Like as a as a major character. So. Uh, which is the one that David? Is he called the Purple Man or something? That David Tennant is. In? Yeah, that's that's in Jessica Jones. That's Jessica Jones. Okay. Yeah. And Jessica Jones, I think they're basing it sort of off of Alias, the the um, the Bendis, Bendis comic book, book Alias. Yeah. And wasn't she, they just can't call it Alias? So was she in that book? Was she uh, formerly Spider Woman? Is that the gist of her or no? Am I wrong? Uh, I yeah, I actually haven't read that title, so I can't speak directly to it. I read it. I have it somewhere, but I don't remember it at at, at all. Um, uh, but they they've since announced there will be a second Daredevil uh, season, season, oh. and now they're talking about maybe doing a Punisher show too, which would be great. Now that they have Punisher and Ghost Rider back, and why not get Thomas Jane back? I'm okay with that. Bring him back, and he would do it in a heartbeat. He would. You know, that's true. Um, this is what I love too about all this stuff and the internet, whatever. Like. I, I, am I clamoring for a Deadpool movie? No, I like the character just fine. But if it ever got made or didn't get made, it wouldn't be a big deal to me. What I love is, and Ryan Reynolds has since you know come out and talked about this, where they did that that teaser, the 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 effects test or whatever it was for 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 Deadpool, and that was it. Deadpool then got you know shelved, but he claims that he had thought several times over the years to leak that footage. Wouldn't it be cool if we leaked this footage? And he goes, I never did. And then someone else did. And because of the response of leaked footage from years ago, they got Marvel to green light Deadpool, or whoever's doing it, to give the go-ahead. Give the go-ahead to Deadpool. But that's that's what happened with the uh, Camp alien, too. Um, Remind me now how that went. What happened? It was just the those images leaked online. Oh yeah. And then he put a few more out. That's right. And then it kind of, you know, people buzzed about it for a long time and then went away and then he kind of came back and said, "Oh yeah, that, those actually were mine legitimately and something that I've wanted to do and you know, I've I've got Sigourney over here and we've kind of been talking about it. Wouldn't that be a hoot?" That's and right. Fox went, "We should totally do this." I forgot about that. That's right. So, yeah, that's awesome. We're really, again, whether this stuff hits or misses, I'd rather have it than not. I'm not one of those people that goes, you know, well, if that guy's going to do it, I mean, some things get me more excited than others, and there's certainly announcements where I go, oh, why'd you give it to that guy? But I'm still going to be there to check out because, you know, we're, we're you know, it's like, um, you know, when Stan always used to say we're living in the, the Marvel age of, you know, blah, blah. Speaking of, just a sec, we've got to do this side, sidebar here. Have we, have we talked about my recent purchase of the Marvel Collectibles book? No. Oh, okay, we need to talk about this for two minutes. There's a book which is not near me right now, and I can't give you the name of the author, but you've probably seen this thing. Steve Sansweet. <laughs> Steve Sansweet. Yeah, the guy wrote this. He's going to be doing a signing. Um, oh, wait, I do have it. The full-color guide to Marvel Silver Age collectibles. From the Merry Marvel Marching Society to Marvel Mania. 
Okay? Amazing book. Yeah. So you got the color version. This is the color. This, this thing is absolutely unbelievable uh, for, for a number of reasons. Uh, I love these kinds of things where you just have – you don't have to go to the internet. You can just carry it around with you. You've got you know, a really cool, super cool guidebook to, to stuff. Um, it goes back you know, from the early 60s right up to like the early 70s, late, late 60s. But what's, what's shocking is just, um, you know, in hindsight now, I think we, we have a pretty good understanding of how popular certain characters were at certain times. But when you see a book like this and you realize, you know, yeah, there was actually a Ben Cooper Daredevil Halloween costume made in like 1966 that you go – these characters were more popular than I even understood at the time because I think we just kind of, I mean, I didn't really think that maybe Spidey was as big as he was until like the animated series kicked off or, or whatever, but it's, it's an incredible reference for that kind of thing. And, um, just, just, just putting it in context of just how, where these, these characters started to blossom and how popular they were and, the feedback, even there, it's a great reference book, especially for Stan Lee's, you know, voice and just, you know, how early he started doing that whole Stan soapbox kind of rap with the fans, which right. is invaluable. I mean, you cannot, you know, okay, here's what I'm getting at. There's a lot of people out there that love Stan. Uh, some think he's okay or kind of admire him. And then there's a, a good chunk, um, you know, like the Alan Moores of the world that uh, think he has hogged the spotlight and taken too much credit and yada yada. We've discussed on this show quite a while ago um, the documentary Searching for Steve Ditko that uh, yeah. Jonathan um, Ross did uh, in the UK with Neil Gaiman. He and Neil Gaiman you know, do a documentary on Ditko. And if you know or don't know, I'll give you a brief rundown out there. Ditko was an enigma. Even when he was doing Spider-Man and Doctor Strange books, he was, he was an enigma. If you search the internet, there are literally, I think, two, possibly three photographs that exist of Steve Ditko and that are on the internet. And, and all of them are from the early 60s. So, so one of the one of the things that's always stuck in his craw and a lot of people's was, you know, I mean, my defense is, does every time Stan Lee opens his mouth, does he have to say, you know, I'm Stan Lee, co-creator of this, this, this with so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so? Or can he just say, I'm Stan Lee, you know, creator of Spider-Man, or I'm Stan Lee, and, you know, when I did spider you know, everybody knows. It, to me, it's like the same thing as, as George Lucas. If he should be opening, every time he opens his mouth, he should give credit to Ralph McQuarrie. Because Macquarie designed Vader and 3PO and R2, etc. And most laymen, I think, think that that shit came wholesale out of Lucas's uh, brain. So this Ditko thing's been going on for 50 years, uh, which is who is the rightful father of something like Spider-Man? Is it the guy that that shows up with the idea on paper and says this is a teenager that gets bitten by a radioactive spider and this is what his powers are, etc. And then the guy that he's working with says, okay, well, I got some ideas. Here you go. This has been a 50-year battle about where the, <clears throat> the credit lies. 
in this book, I, I still, I still, I still cannot believe this. Um, in this book, they show the very first, basically, piece of Spider-Man merchandise. 1963, Ben Cooper made a Spider-Man Halloween costume. <laughs> it's pretty spectacular, if I can use the pun. <laughs> nice. Okay, that's on the right side of the the right page, right side of the book. On the left, but there there was actually a spider. They found a Spider-Man Ben Cooper costume. Okay, that predates. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, in 1954. Ben Cooper did a costume called Spider-Man. The words are separated. And it's a black and white image that they have from the catalog that's in this book. Um, it looks like there's webbing all throughout the, the body of the outfit. The mask itself has webbing that comes out from the nose, two little dots for eyes, and the words Spider and Man on the, the mask on the head. It's not a traditional plastic Ben Cooper Halloween mask with the rubber band around the back of your head. It's more of like a stocking that goes over the, the face. In 1959, Ben Cooper made another costume called the spider. This thing, the, the body of the, of the, of the costume has a spider on the chest. The body is yellow and blue. There's webbing all throughout, but most shockingly, the plastic Ben Cooper Halloween mask is, it looks like, you know when Peter Parker lifts his mask up to eat pizza or whatever? Yeah. That's what it looks like. Okay? And okay. this book basically says there is no way that whomever over at Marvel was unaware of this, particularly this Ben Cooper 1959 costume of the spider. There's no way they could have been unaware of this when creating Spider-Man. And then you go to the 1963 one, and further, it would seem that, that maybe it was even mentioned to Marvel by Ben Cooper, and then Marvel says, okay, but we're going to put a hyphen in our name, and Spider-Man is going to be Spider-Man. But I saw this in this book like a month ago, and I nearly dropped the book. Like, I couldn't... This is a revelation to me. This puts all of the arguments of the past 50 years into flux because it's not just the name of the character. The, the mask is, is almost wholesale taken by Ditko and the body of the costume is, is pretty, pretty similar as, as well. So it would seem maybe Stan knew about it. I, I don't know, but it would seem that the two of them or maybe Ditko or I don't know what was aware of this costume before they created Spider-Man and pretty much ripped off the design from Ben Cooper. You got I guess that's, that's possible. No, it's not possible. It's, it's pretty damned apparent. It's too, there's too many coincidences to not be the case. Don't you find that shocking? So are you saying that Ben Cooper should be created with the, um, well, my, because it's probably not even Ben himself that did it. My guess is, like many things back then, music, you know, songwriting, licensing, whatever, nobody thought we'd be talking about this shit 50 years later. But there probably was a little piece of paper that went back and forth between Marvel and Ben Cooper that said, okay, I'll tell you what, give us this and we'll get a fruitful 
relationship going with you guys for the next 30 or 40 years, um, which they, they then, of course, proceed to, to do by making, you know, a uh, hundred different Halloween costumes based on um, Marvel uh, characters. But that was shocking. So uh, there's a bit of shocking news, once again, that you're not going to get anywhere else but Geek Show and Herod. Run out to get this book. I cannot recommend it enough. It is so filled with amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, also, uh, in back to Star Wars real quick, May the 4th happened recently. I refuse that is correct. I refuse yes. to say the phrase. Um, and just for kicks, uh, I went with a buddy of mine to the Disney store. And Disney store was doing – they may be doing it all week. Uh, and that's why I'm telling you. I think they're doing it all week. 30% off all Star Wars stuff in, uh, in the Disney store because of – May the 4th, I think. And also, I think the first 50 or so customers each day, when you make a purchase, you get a pin, a Star Wars pin. So I got, Did you get the, pin? I got the pin as well. Um, and then the other thing was uh, that I found for my wife's nephew um, over at Barnes & Noble. There's this really cool um, – I've seen this before. This company, um, Sterling Innovation – made a punch-out and make it uh, R2-D2. Yeah. So it's a paper model of R2. It's about a foot tall, and it lights up and makes some, some sounds from the movie. Well, they also did a bust of Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's glossy black paper. You punch it out. You make this bust of Darth Vader, and it comes with a little um, sound device that says like three or four things from, from the movie. Right now... They're seventy five percent off at Barnes and Noble, oh. so it's like five bucks for this really awesome build your own Darth Vader bust uh, kit. And did you punch out and make? I it? I have not. I got it for my wife's nephew. Uh, it may be a little tricky. Oh, it also comes with a book about Darth Vader, about the history of Darth Vader. So you get the punch out thing and the book for five bucks. It's like a twenty five dollar thing. That's like five bucks or something. So um, there's a little uh, little shopping tip for everyone to uh, run out and get that. Can we also talk about um, – we need to talk about Letterman and one other yes. thing, which is um, how much I'm loving the little, the little two-inch tall um, Marvel figures. Oh, are you getting like the whole uh, – are you building the Avengers headquarters? Yes, and stuff? I did. Yes, I okay. did, as a matter of fact. I've got – it took a while. I didn't get them all at once. I took my time, and I currently have the Avengers headquarters all built up with all the little figures placed throughout. And just recently, I just recently found out, maybe they just got released, the next wave of little figures has hit. So Scarlet Witch, the Vision, uh, different stages of Ultron, the little iron, uh, what are they called? Iron soldiers. What are they called? The white ones. The Iron Legion. <clears throat> the Iron Legion. Little little tiny figures of the Iron Legion. There's also a new uh, two pack of the Hulk, a larger Hulk with a new little two inch Iron Man, which is a different Iron Man. Uh, stuff like that, and they're all like you know, right now they're on sale for like five, six bucks for each little set. 
Yeah, Target's having a big uh, Avengers sale right now. Yeah, I love them. I love them. I love that they're interactive with the other little ships and stuff, and and uh, you know the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. They 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 kind of go along with that, and we're still getting the four inch figures, which are very very limited articulation, but they're kind of like the Star Wars ones that are that are hitting. Yeah. Um, so you can have it both ways, as they say. Um, having said that, I picked up Lando. Have you seen the, the Lando Skiff Guard Lando? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. You know, his helmet doesn't come off. Right. That just seems like a giant ripoff to me. Huh. Everyone's going to expect his helmet to come off. I don't know why they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't make that. But Well, it's because they are, they are budget figures, as it were. Right. Uh, so yeah, I love. Are you? Do you care about the two inch figures or or no? No, I'm not getting any of those. I love them. I, just, I got the I got the Guardians ones, uh-huh. uh, but I've never opened them. So I love them. I just think they're so much fun. Um, so there's that, and then we got to talk about Letterman. But one more thing, I will say that I'm, I was going to be my what I'm excited about, but um, <clears throat> something else took over. And that is, it's bittersweet because we no longer have the Doctor Who license, Biff Bang Pow, so we don't make any more Doctor Who stuff. But we did have another wave of 8-inch Doctor Who figures that was going to go into production, which we never got to make. However, uh, I finally got my hands on the prototypes of those 8-inch figures, which will go on my shelf the rest of my collection were they ones that were shown they were ones that were shown yeah okay the uh the the lee sen chang mr sin mac oh yeah all those were you know rory and amy yeah yeah those were all those were all shown but but now they belong to me nice so it's nice to have them it's just kind of nice to hear that shoe finally drop i guess yeah, um, and I also got the Beatles Yellow Submarine uh, Factory twelve-inch uh, figures. Oh yeah, yeah. Quick shout out to Tony Fowler who found two of them at what are those stores called? They're called like, Tuesday Morning. Tuesday Morning. Do we have those here? Yes, we discussed that last time. We did. We did. They're all over Los Angeles. Really? Yes. Like I can walk out my door and throw a rock. And I'm going to hit a Tuesday morning. Uh, I don't know if, you know, which direction your door is facing or how far you can throw a rock, but yes. Okay. If you look them up, they're all over L.A. Well, um, I don't know. There's two within driving distance of my house right now. Um, Yes, we did talk about this because I did make some phone calls. I remember now. And they're actually kind of far away from me. But neither of them had... The, the Beatles 12-inch figures. But these are like, this is a set of 12-inch figures that retailed, I think, for like 550 bucks or something for the set of four figures. And Tuesday morning had them for like 20 bucks. I would also, just going forward, if there's something at Tuesday morning that you want, I would not call them. I would go there because it's just row after row of shelving with stuff everywhere. Well, what so I, they really have no way of knowing what they've got and what they don't. Well, but they I had her I did the um I had the number 
Oh, I she was able to look up what quantity they had, uh, and that there was nothing there. But um, they're really lovely figures. It's just nice, to, you know. That's the only version we're going to ever get of the Beatles is the Yellow Submarine. So it's kind of nice because they they're the equivalent of a 12 inch, you know, figure. That's all we're ever going to get of them. So it's cool to it's cool to have them. Oh, and then Kaiser Chiefs. Sorry, that same week saw Kaiser Chiefs that Saturday night. So it was Neil Finn, The Replacements, Star Wars, Star Wars trailer, Celebration, and then Kaiser Chiefs um, Saturday, that Saturday night. I think that's how it went. Anyway, um, back to you. I thought of you last night. As you do every I night. I was drifting off to, to Slumberland. Um, I, uh, I texted you, and of course you had to be a smart guy about it. Trying to tell you that the cover of Rolling Stone, your boy Letterman, is on the cover. Um, so he's going off the air May 20th. But I remember getting my first, I think it was the first Letterman cover of Rolling Stone, the first time he was on Rolling Stone. I think it was like 85. And I remember the cover, he's like holding a cigar and he's wearing the late night uh, baseball jersey. So that was, I believe that was 85. Five, I think. So yep. here it is, 30 years later, he's on the cover saying goodbye. Um, May 20th, are you going to have like a, you should have a get-together, you should have people over for the last, <clears throat> the last episode. Maybe I will. You should. You're a big fan, you should. I'm a huge fan. You should get out your Letterman, your late night cap and, you know, make, um, I don't know what the signature drink would be or food would be. It would be big ass ham. Big ass ham, and then you know, teach um, teach the dog to do some stupid tricks. Yeah, you can you can wheel out your stupid tricks. No, but I mean the whole thing because I you know I've I have been watching Letterman at least uh, probably thirty of his thirty three years. And I have seen I remember, darn near every one of them. Yeah, I remember, um, gosh, I mean, I remember the night that Harrison Ford was on for Blade Runner. Do you remember that episode? Yeah. Um, and he was just, even back then, wanted to be any place else other than a talk show. Um, <laughs> but So that was 82. Now, keep in mind, listeners, we're 11 or 12 years old. At the time, we're watching Letterman, and it wasn't a, a kid's show, that's for sure. But also, were you able to, because I recall, you know, it was late night with David Letterman, which meant, you know, it was on late at frickin' night. Do you, I remember mostly watching it like on a Thursday or Friday night. Um, I don't remember a lot of Monday or Tuesday nights staying up for, for being allowed to stay up for, for Letterman. Um, did you mainly watch it on Friday night, or, or did you try to catch it as much as you could during the week? I set my VCR. Oh, nice. Recorded it and watched it the next day nice. when I was, you know, younger. And then, you know, once I got to high school, I watched it live. Right. Got it. And college. and Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and these, I mean, so the, he's kind of doing... You know, this last lap right now, the, the, about the past month of shows are him saying goodbye to his really close friends. Mm -hmm. 
So we've seen, you know, Jack Hanna come on, Michael Keaton, President Obama was on this week. Uh, and, you know, they, they've been very, Steve Martin, they've been very emotional shows, especially the Jack Hanna one, I felt like. I didn't uh, see it. Was it? Uh, really? It was fantastic. How, yeah. How yeah. was it emotional? Well, it, you know, the, Jack Hanna, I think he has, he is the only guest, he's the, the, the guest that is, he's the runner-up for the guest that has been on the show the most times. And also, wouldn't he be... Wouldn't he be one of the crossovers from from Carson? Yes, because he he was you know, I mean Carson. Well, no, he he wasn't on Carson. That was Jill Umbria. Umbria. Well, I right? thought he did too, but eventually it was the it was the woman because Carson had a thing going with her. Yeah, Carson was Carson had an affair going with uh, Jill Embryo, whatever her name was. Yeah. Um, okay, so yes, yeah, so I didn't realize Hannah had been on that many times. Yeah, over over a hundred times. The only person that's been on more was Regis. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it, there were when Jack first came out, and the, the other interesting thing was every time uh, Jack has come out for thirty years or whatever, they have played House of the Rising Sun by the Animals. Uh, like that's been his. Okay. Okay. That's been his walkout music. <laughs> Uh, but, and, but they, they played something different. I couldn't identify what it was this time. I'll have to listen to it again. Okay. Uh, but just from the moment he walked out, Jack was in tears. Oh. You know, of, of like having to say goodbye. Oh, and, really? Oh. Yeah. And, you know, he still did. And, and the other thing Letterman's doing right now is he's giving these people the whole show. They, they will be one guest and a musical act that Dave likes at the end. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So that, it's a little bit different format right now. And they've also been going back uh, after the end, after he does his monologue and usually right around the top 10 list, he'll do like a classic bit from the show, which, you know, all those things that I love uh, seeing some of those, those old flashback bits of like when, you know, he sends Rupert G to mess with people right. or, you know, he, he runs the uh, McDonald's drive-through right. or, you know, yeah. things like that. Um, and then CBS also, this past Monday night, did a 90-minute a sort of clip show. I that, that one was, was so great. It was not great, yeah. But wait a minute. Um, are they able to, is, is, has Dave been able to show clips from the NBC? From NBC? Yeah. He has, okay. Which has been interesting, yeah. And and with each guest, like you know Steve Martin and J- Jack Hanna and Michael Keaton, they right. as one of the because you remember on the old NBC show they would have all those bumpers that would just be like a a photograph. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, say like the Late Show, you know. Yeah. Uh, which actually the guy who shot all those is is getting ready to auction off about thirty of them in Santa Monica. Ooh, you going uh, at the end of this month? I don't know. I might. You should. I might. That's the kind I'm of tempted. collectible you should be on because yeah, that's like there's only. I'm sure those are going to be pricey, but uh, yeah, but man, that would be really cool. So they've been doing these these bumpers this month of it looks like a trading card, and it's the person on their very first appearance on the Letterman show. Oh wow, which is kind of cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Remember his very first guest? It was Bill Murray. That's right. On both shows. That's right. And I think has Murray been on yet? 
Uh, I don't think so. I bet he'll be the last guest. He might be. Um, and I remember, I think, second or third night was Terry Gilliam. Yeah. And Terry Gilliam was on to promote Time Bandits. Yeah. That's how far back that goes. Do you remember the night that Nastasha Kinski was on? I think so, yeah. So she's she's something, either she's drunk or she's a bit stoned or I don't know what. Yeah. But her hair, if you looked at her dead on, her hair was was done up with like mousse and it was kind of up at an angle. She looked like one of the people from like the Hunger Games, like those crazy hats and hairdos and stuff. And her, her, her hair was straight up held in place. God knows how. It looked like the Leaning Tower of, of Pisa. And she's in the chair next to Letterman, and he's doing it. But every now and then she's looking up at the monitor, and she kind of starts to giggle, uh, like, oh, I can see how I look. And, he, and Letterman was like, yeah, now you know what the rest of us are looking at. Like, <laughs> he was really mean. Like, he was snarky, and she was kind of out of it, and just something didn't seem quite right. And she, I guess she broke this famous story. She broke down and cried. Uh after the show, like in the hallway, he had to apologize because I guess she was a mess because he was so, he definitely used to be more snarky than he, than he is now. He's still got a oh, yeah. bit of snark, but he, he calmed down considerably the past, uh, you know, decade, especially yeah. since the, well, the heart thing was what, how long ago was that? Uh, what year was the heart thing? There were two kind of things. There was the quintuple bypass surgery and then he got, like shingles at one point too, and had to step out. Uh, I'm thinking of the bypass because the bypass thing is where all those people showed up to guest hosts. Yeah, uh, and it was like a different one each night, kind of. And it was great. That was cool. That was yeah. that was a testament to just how much people love him. Yeah, and, and 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 who those people those people are. I keep saying it. I said it before, but Carson retired. And the only two appearances he made after he retired were both on the Letterman show. And he was writing jokes for Letterman. He was writing jokes, sending jokes to, to Letterman. But he he showed up. He never showed up on on Leno's show. Nope. You know, he never. Did we talk about that? Did you ever see the Carson documentary? Yes, I did. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. And I think Jerry Seinfeld said it. Somebody said it where they said something like, no, 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 no. The Tonight Show ended with Johnny Carson. Like, there's a, there's a show called, you know, the Jay Leno Show, but it's not the Tonight Show. Like, the words, the Tonight Show, like, it truly ended with Johnny Carson. There, yeah. No one else can, can call it that, even though they, they will. Um, so that's, that's kind of bittersweet. Are you excited for Colbert? Uh, I mean, I like him a lot. It'll be interesting to see him do a show as himself, uh-huh. yeah, as opposed right. to you know his character. I thought about that. Like we've never really seen him in action as himself. He's always been yeah. these these exaggerated you know characters. Uh, so that could that could definitely be interesting. But are you like when you see? I was watching. I think it was the Steve Martin one. And Steve Martin had this filmed sequence of um, something that he did, but then he showed one that was from, you know, a year earlier or whatever, which was 
their their big gay vacation, Dave and Steve. Oh yeah, that that's an old one. But they should. But the other one he did was like, what's what's Dave gonna do now that he's retired or something? And they, you know, showed these sequence of photos of him, you know, going to, you know, old country buffet or you know whatever whatever it was. And a lot yeah. of them, Letterman was just in a t-shirt. And I guess for the first time, I kind of and he looks fantastic. Don't get me wrong. He we should all be so lucky to look as good as he does at his age and the horrible surgery, you know, what he went through. Um, but for the first time I kind of noticed like his arms and kind of his neck. I thought, Oh, he, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's been, <laughs> you know, those pictures weren't him though. Right. I thought that was him. Wasn't that him? like, like, um, doing different stuff. Cause he, cause his, cause his no. face was, he was, there was this, that was his face photoshopped on a really old it man. Was? Because yeah. I thought I thought his face because he was doing goofy expressions, so I thought that he was he was in on it and no. doing stuff. Oh well, okay. Good. No, that was not him. Good because I looked at these arms and I was like, "Are those Letterman's arms?" Because he just doesn't. No. I don't think he's that old, is he? But anyway, do you think that it's the right time for him to to kind of be walking away? Do you think it's? Well, uh, I have since learned from people in the comedy community that this was not his choice. Really? Yes. And that he is not happy about it. So What? Yep. I don't understand. What what's the fucking problem? What what are what are they what's their problem? His ratings are great. They are great, but he, you know, he he and he's kind of said this himself. He did an interview uh with the New York Times not too long ago, where he was like, we kind of made some choices and we went away uh, a direction and it didn't work out well for us and we kind of never caught up. But, you know, we were kind of doing our thing. Uh, I don't think that's fair. And he he never surpassed Leno in the rating. And, And now this new breed has come in and they're doing a lot of viral stuff. You know, that's kind of their whole M.O., Right. Uh, and he, you know, I think CBS wants uh, to to chase that a little more. No, but see, I don't think that that's fair. And for the longest time, people were saying such things. And I don't think that it's finally somebody pointed something out, which was after years of being compared and showing the ratings side by side and saying, gosh, you know why can't why can't Letterman surpass him in the ratings or you know whatever somebody said but finally they started to kind of relax Letterman or whatever and started to go you know what why are we doing this because it's not the same show and it's not the same audience the audience that that's just it they they finally came to the realization that we're we're chasing our tail here because the people that are tuning into Leno, it's such a disparity, it's such a different show and such a different personality that the people, there, there wouldn't be, you know, Leno zealots that might jump back and forth between, you know, Letterman and, and, and Leno. If you're, if you're a Leno zealot and if you're loving everything Leno's doing, you're probably not going to flip over to Letterman anyway. It's not the same audience. So I always thought that sort of got got put in a drawer a while ago, and and people kind of went, yeah, but it's not the same, it's not the not the demographic, but it's it's not they're not reaching for the same 
audience, I guess. But apparently not. I, I, I don't disagree, but that that's you know, there's there's wow. a lot of people in a lot of buildings wearing a lot of suits that that sort of thing is important to. I did not know. That. So, yeah, this this was not his decision. I did not know that. And he's never yeah. said anything about it. No. Wow. Not really. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's bullshit. OK, that's too bad. And I mean, I, you know, I'm, I know there is stuff that is appealing about stepping away, you know, he's just like, for the first time, I'm going to be able to, you know, just spend a summer with my son saying, well, what do you want to do? Right. right. You know, uh, you know, he's, his son is 11. It's a great age with kids. I've been that kid already? Yeah. Wow. He's the same age as my daughter. Wow. And, um, and someday they will marry. Someday they will what? They will wed. <laughs> That's my that's my plan. Like David Tennant marrying Peter Davison's daughter. Yes. Um okay, so well, but yeah, I'll be I'll be very very sad. Will, I've, I've I've actually started uh an article to post on AFI later of my top 10 favorite David Letterman moments. Yeah, I'll tell you he's one of those things that's just been a constant. Like Dave is just always, you know, and I remember watching him with my my older brother Gino where, I mean, you know, even as a kid, like, like I've got a couple of audio cassettes. We used to we used to tape <clears throat> Monty Python when it was on Channel Two, the uh, public television station in in the Twin Cities. We would put a blank cassette tape in <laughs> and record it because, you know, it was the only way to kind of see it or hear it again. And I've got a couple of these tapes where you can. You can hear me laughing in the background. My brother's laughing, and maybe I'm taking his cue, and I'm laughing. Or, or, or some of the stuff you hear me laughing at is the animated stuff. So it's just hitting me on whatever level. But I'm like seven, yeah. watching watching Python. So with Letterman, you know, I knew Carson, you know, pretty pretty well as a <clears throat> as a show. But it, you know, Letterman appealed to my older brother. Actually, both brothers, but mainly my my the middle brother Gino. That I knew that there was something different about this guy that that he was he was appealing to. It was, it was I mean I guess the we never would have used this word, but alternative kind of comedy. You know? Yeah, and it, and it, it sort of it, it appealed to the ab, ab, absurd nature of the stuff that we loved with Monty Python. That it was it was that kind of madness. You know, with what with what he did, but it was always niche. I mean, it was always like, you know, if you went to school on Monday or whatever, and we're talking about Thursday, Friday, Letterman. You know, even in high school, like, not everybody was watching Letterman, you know? right? It, you know what I mean? Like, it was. So it all. I think it always was that weirdness of like him moving up a time slot, which he always wanted. He knew that he couldn't keep doing what he was doing. For much longer, so he wanted that earlier time slot. Of course, he wanted the Tonight Show, but um, I always wondered, like, how that brand of humor was going to translate to the earlier, you know, time slots. Yeah. Uh, I think he did just fine on CBS. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, do you? I don't feel like the show ever really got diluted because he went to an earlier time slot and went to CBS. <clears throat> things we uh, he changed he changed a bit of how he approached things yeah and and again you know there was stuff like almost dying and 911 right, that right. that and and him sort of realizing 
that he was the modern day Carson. Right. That 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 he was the pinnacle of what stand up comics were were trying to to go towards uh, that. And just having the that pulpit of being able to talk to that many people, that sort of changed his bent from just, you know, throwing stuff off a five-story building <laughs> to, you know, having on some important, influential people that weren't just... It was the people he wanted to talk to. Right. You know, he had that woman on from the World Hunger League that had figured out how we could feed you know, all the starving people in the world. Right. And he thought that was important. Like, like let's give this woman a segment, you know. But then every now and then he would do something or he'd have someone on and I'd be so disappointed that he didn't, because he's so smart and he's so acerbic, I'd be disappointed when he didn't, like he had, he had uh, O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. He had him on a couple of times. Yep. And, we know how smart Letterman is. We know how clever he is. But, man, O'Reilly knew how to work the audience, and he was, he, 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 his information was wrong, and he was still spinning flat-out big, fat, freaking lies. But at a certain point each time, <clears throat> Letterman could only take it so far before Letterman went, well, you know, I don't know enough about this stuff. You know, you clearly know more, but, you know, I just think that – and it pissed me off, like, oh, man, I wish you had done your homework a little better, because if anybody could eviscerate a guy like O'Reilly, it was, it, was, it was Letterman. But he never, I don't think he ever kind of pushed, you know, it's like the, Bill Maher. Like, I, 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 I watch that show, I, I watch it every week, and I, I do not apologize for Bill Maher. I'm not a big fan of Bill Maher. Um, I think he's a misogynist dinosaur and, you know, all the things people hate about him. But he's the only guy that's able to really say how he feels about something. Like, like Rachel Maddow can say whatever she wants. You know, she can, she, can, she can be critical of Rush Limbaugh or whatever, vice versa. But she can't come out and say, oh, that guy's a freaking asshole. You know, like whatever. Like, Marr can do that. And he can call these senators out and, you know, whatever else. And Letterman, you know, was always shackled by you know, his, the network or whatever, but he was pretty good at, you know, being, you know, honest and upfront about such things. And I always wished he would have, you know, attacked O'Reilly, you know, better or more because I wouldn't want to go up against Letterman. And I'll also say for the umpteenth time, I don't think his hosting duties at the Oscars, I think far, far, far from the disaster that it's been made out to be for the past 20 years. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think we've talked about that on the yeah, show before. Yeah. I mean, he was legions better than whatever James and uh the giant peach? No, no, it was a James oh, not James Franco. Marston, it was uh, Franco, James Franco. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that whole travesty. But I mean, you you it's it's funny how things like that build up in the urban mythology where it's like, "Oh, well, you know, it's not as bad as the the time that Letterman said, "Really? When's the last time you?" It was. It was not a disaster. It was. Yeah. It was. It was. You know, funny and <laughs> refreshing in a different way than the usual crap that we got from from that ceremony. And also, uh, we should point out what a huge music fan uh, Letterman is, along with Schaefer, and how tight that band is. And the musical acts that they've had, you know, yeah. just. Just stellar across the board. All the, 
the great, great, great performances he's had on that on that show. Yeah, I'm really curious as to what Paul is going to do now because Paul has played with everyone. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, including Nick the Lounge Singer. On yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I I will the on I will be very sad waking up in the world on May 21st. Yeah, me too. He's um he's an icon and um he did it his way to not to paraphrase. But he did, he did his brand, he never, essentially, yes, like you say, some things got trimmed here and there, or maybe, you know, he wasn't quite as, you know, argumentative or whatever with, you know, as he, you know, got old, whatever. But the essential Daveness of of Letterman has not changed over the years. He has been the guy that he's been for all these years. You know, he hasn't had to change his image or compromise to fit into whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yep. That's not a lot of people you can say that about. That's true. So, yeah, he will be missed. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll record before then, but with the rate you're going, I doubt it. I'll just, I'll just be weeping openly for an hour into the microphone. Um, tell, okay. So X-Files is supposed to be happening, six episodes. Um, which is crazy, which is crazy, but everything, everything comes around again. Apparently it's, everything is possible now. Um, this, 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 uh, oh, happy anniversary, baby. Got you on my minds. Uh, happy belated anniversary to action figure insider. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you. You had an anniversary week. We participated, gave you some info about um, the Flash Gordon movie, Biff Bang Pow, uh, four-inch range of figures. Yep, got to show the KISS packaging for the first time. KISS packaging? Ugh. And you know who's a big fan? KISS themselves. Gene Simmons. Yep. Yep, sent a note to uh, their music rep saying, I want these ASAP. <laughs> he wants toys. Oh, nice. And uh, oh, and Sam Jones was cool enough. I don't know if you saw that, but Sam Jones um, tweeted, retweeted tweeted images of the Flash Gordon figures. Yeah, which was which was pretty cool. Um, oh, and we should we should talk too. Uh, the last episode, you called out the actor who plays uh, Grand Moff Tarkin on Rebels. Oh yeah. And uh, he was he was nice enough to to give us a, a shout out saying thank you so much for for mentioning. Yeah, that. no, he was um, that was great. It's tough doing impressions, especially iconic characters and actors like that. And um, he did a terrific job. It was very subtle, and um, you know, as you know, I have an ear for such things. And um, I thought he was he he was great. Also, want to point out Charlie Cox. Matt Murdock, Daredevil, is British and does one of the best American accents I think I've heard from a Brit. I get real uptight about such things. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. I, I do know that. Accents make me crazy. Um, and especially, you know, an American doing a lousy British accent or vice versa. He does a great American accent, I think. So there's another reason to tune in to that, that show. Great opening titles, too. Yeah, I mean, really great all the way around. You know, the, the fact that 
we don't mind him not being in costume for most of it. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I would say that's significant. Mm. Stephen Stanton, by the way, is the actor. Oh, right on. From Rebels. Thanks for the shout-out, Steve. Quick question, Daredevil. Is he... he he's he got the power that he's got, whatever. He doesn't have a healing factor like Wolverine. But is he able to sort of... Whereas most men, you know, they get into a fight, whatever, you know, it takes them three or four days to recover. Does he have the ability... Does he kind of... He takes a good beating, and then he's able to kind of get up and move, uh, you know, qu- fairly quickly. Is that part of his thing or power or whatever, or is it just he no. can take a good beating? I think just because he was, you know, a lifetime of boxing and stuff, he can take a beating. Okay, so it's nothing to do with his... But that that was the other thing we I loved about it, was all of those fights were so real and so grounded. Yeah. Like, he got hit, he got tired yeah. oh yeah other people got tired that, uh, use that hallway that yeah hallway. i mean everyone's been talking about the hallway episode from two. episode two was it yeah oh my god that one is, of the greatest fight scenes ever that is i've got to say that is the highlight of the entire series as brilliant as the series was that was the pinnacle for me like just the genius of that sequence um and yeah, and you felt like he was just exhausted, like he just could. You, you're you're right. You rarely get that sense in such things that the guy can barely stand up. You know, you, you Harrison Ford. That's one of the reasons people loved him so much, playing the everyman. Like there's a great bit in Raiders when he's, he's at the flying wing, and he's already been through hell. But his his attitude kind of now is like, oh come on, I'll I'll get rid of this guy and I'll move on to the next thing because. I'm pretty good at punching people. And he starts to go at it with the German mechanic. And the German mechanic gives him that first punch, and his, yeah. and his legs go wobbly, and he comes down. Every time you watch it, you just it's the same reaction. But he gets hit, and the sense you get is like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, I didn't see that coming. Where did that come from? And he just gets more exhausted as the, as the fight goes on. Well, Daredevil is just like, he's walking down. Each time a guy tr- starts to get up, he can barely, like, you know, kick him to get him down again. And he's propping himself up on the on the hallway and stuff. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. That is a brilliant, brilliant sequence. So, so smartly done. Um, all right. So we covered everything pretty much. Uh, just one, one more thing okay. real quick I want to talk about. Uh, I got to go to the premiere red carpet screening of Superman Lives, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? Right. Uh, now, which is a documentary one, being put together by John Schnepp. Kickstarter, right? It, it, it started on Kickstarter originally, yes. Okay. And uh, tell the folks at home what the gist of this thing was. So back in the 90s, uh, after, it would have been right around the time of Batman and Robin, actually, Warner Brothers was looking to restart the Superman franchise. And they, it was John Peters once again, because he owns the rights to Superman films still, I believe. Right, okay. And uh, he tapped... Tim Burton to put this movie together, and at the time, uh, Nicolas Cage was going to be Superman. That's right. 
And there's been a lot of stuff over the years that has kind of trickled out about the suit and the, uh, the you know the costume stuff and who the villains were and uh, I'm not going to give away a lot of spoilers because there are some pretty big new reveals that have never been spoken of okay. before. Um, and this is, but, by the way, can I just jump in and say, unless I'm completely mistaken, this yep. thing went on for so long that Nicolas Cage had not one, but two pay-or-play deals during this pre-production, which meant this thing went on for so long and pay or play for those that don't know, you know, it basically means you've got him for this thing. Whether the movie happens or not, he's going to get his, his paycheck. Right. I think it was $20 million each, each paycheck. I'm pretty sure that's what, that's the bracket he was in. So he got $40 million without having shot, you know, one scene for this movie. Yeah. Uh, sorry, continue. Go on with so John Schnepp, the, the director of this, had just kind of been archiving stuff because he was fascinated by this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, his friends kept saying, you should do something with this. And he was like, well, I don't know what to do. And, you know, he's done a lot of, like, animated series on Comedy Central and, and things like that, but he had never made a documentary. And finally, he kind of had enough stuff, and people would like when he started the Kickstarter, people email and go, oh, well, there's a flying test that ILM has done. And it's like, oh, do you have that? And they don't go, no. Okay. <laughs> you know, do you know anyone that has right. it? No. Right. Uh, but he, he was able to sit down with, you know, all three of the writers that worked on it. Right. You know, Kevin Smith wrote a script. Uh, he, he was able to talk to Tim Burton. And the last person he was actually able to sit down with was John Peters which made everything kind of come together. His, his moments in the, in the film are great. So they showed it <laughs> at the premiere. They showed it two other nights here in L.A. Then they took it for two nights to Austin. And this is it in sort of its current form. It's, it's still not quite finished. There's some other stuff they're going to do and tweak it, but it, it will finally be released right around Comic-Con on DVD but really worth checking out, I, you know, because it, it's been kind of a punchline for a long time. But to really see the process, again, you'll watch this and you go, it, it either would have soared or failed so spectacularly as not to be believed, but it would have been interesting to see. Yeah, it would, it would have been. I mean, I, I think it was going to be a huge mess. I mean, wasn't this basically the one he did before Sleepy Hollow? Yes. Right. Um, I just don't think he ever fit. I think part of that problem was was him just not fitting into the the world of Superman. It just doesn't feel like a <clears throat> like a Tim Burton kind of world, you know. But they just thought, well, they got lightning in a bottle with, you know, what he did with Batman. That that would happen again. I remember at the time I was working on um, a show called Real TV. <clears throat> over at Hollywood Center Studios, and one of the guys that worked on the show was buddies with, uh, uh, not graphic, what do you call it, effect, not an effects guy, but like production artist or whatever that was working on Superman. And mm-hmm. one day we got to go over to the Warner Brothers lot over in Burbank, and and I got to sort of tour the offices with all this artwork up, you know, Brainiac and all this stuff or whatever, and... And the guy was talking about um, Peters, 
uh, wait, Peters? No, yeah. wait, which is the one, who's the hairdresser? John Peters. John yeah. Peters. Yep. And, uh, you know, we've heard plenty of stories from Kevin Smith, horror stories from Kevin Smith about <clears throat> this guy's ideas and stuff. But this guy was saying it um, at the time, this, this, this friend of the guy I worked with, he was saying part of the problem is, you know, he'll just walk into the room and he'll be looking at designs and he'll just be kind of having a conversation. And then you can see him drift, Peters, and he'd look around the room and all of a sudden there's a boom box over on the counter. And you can just see him kind of go, um, yeah, like that. Like that's kind of more the design. Like if you could put that on the front of the robot, you know, whatever. And he would he would just like keep changing shit based on things he'd just find on the floor or in the room or whatever. And that was part of the problem. He said, we just can't get a handle on a lot of the design for this because, you know, this guy keeps – he's the guy that can change his mind and actually make things – <clears throat> happen or, or, or not happen. Who was it that had the... I mean, wasn't the whole... Oh, that was the other thing. His edict, r- r- right off the bat, was, I don't want to see Superman fly. It was, I don't want to see him in the suit. Yeah. I don't want to see him fly. And what was the third one? He can't call him Superman. No. I don't think it was that. No, but he, he sort of... He shot down two of those. Right. Uh, in the, in the documentary, but kind of supported the the third one. And you know the famous one about the giant spider. Oh yeah, they talk about the giant spider. That's all in the movie. Was he wanted a he wanted a giant whatever whatever he did to Kevin Smith. He said whatever I do, you've got to have a giant mechanical spider. The third act. The third act. Should fight got to fight they are the most spider. terrifying thing in the animal kingdom. And we all know how that went and that it didn't happen. But the the great punchline is a year or whatever it was later, Kevin Smith is in the movie theater and they're showing a trailer for the Wild Wild West. And there in the third act of the trailer, the last, the last 20 seconds of the trailer, is a giant mechanical spider walking through the desert. <laughs> and Smith shakes and he's like, son of a bitch. He never yeah, came up got that idea. Spider. Like, think of the countless, the, how many bodies got tossed aside and how much money got pissed away because he wanted this giant spider and it never happened. But sure enough, he was able to stick it in this movie and he finally got his giant spider. Yep. And the other thing was the, the uh, polar bears guarding the fortress of solitude. Oh, right. That's right. I've seen that artwork. Yep. Somewhere. Huh? Well, that'll be a good thing to pick up on, on DVD. I'd, I'd pick that up and watch it. Yeah, I really think you'll dig it. It's it's a, it's very very well done. It was a fun fun little movie to watch. Oh, speaking and, of uh, deals and superhero things, you remember that um, superhero documentary that we really liked? That was a three part thing on PBS. Yes. Uh, at Target right now, there's a super cool box set. It's called Superheroes: The Epic History. It is a it is a box set that has that documentary. <clears throat> Another one that PBS did called uh, Pioneers of Television, Superheroes on 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 um, DVD or whatever. Yeah, um, that. that's in there. And then it also comes with some sort of trading cards of old school, um, uh, lesser known superhero uh, comic book covers, uh, a okay. booklet written by Roy Thomas, and a mini hardcover uh, book called Superheroes, Six Immortal Heroes. Uh, and it covers uh, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Cap, Wonder Woman, um, 
each one is like a you know chapter devoted. So all that comes together in one box set, which was like eighteen bucks, I think it was, or seventeen ninety nine or something at oh. Target. Um, so yeah, there's another little fun thing for people to run out and get. And by the way, we don't get kickbacks from any of these things we recommend, people. We're just That's right. We're just recommending them for you. So get out and experience. Do your part. So we can have things to talk about. Uh, so that must be an epic, record-breaking, um, record-breaking episode, right? What are we? Just because it's uh, at two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. We are at two and a half hours. Wow. Currently. Call Guinness. Yes. Um, we are making up for lost time. We Just, certainly are. Yeah. So, if you missed us not being on every single week. Then you know you you can break this up into two and a half episodes. Yeah, but please, we don't want to hear commute. you complain. Oh, the other thing I should tell you at at Target, um, there's a book called <clears throat> Lego Star Wars: The Dark Side. Do you know about this? Uh, yeah, I have seen that. Um, it's on sale right now. It's like thirty oh. percent off. I think. Okay. And it's uh, it's. The whole, you know, the book is all, it's, it's, I haven't really looked through it, but it's a fun, you know, all Lego pictures and reenactments, you know, and all this stuff, all done in Lego form. But also, it comes with an exclusive little mini figure of yeah. Emperor Palpatine. So, uh, so yeah, I picked it up for, again, for my wife's nephew, because he's a big Star Wars Lego kid. Um, but I thought you'd be interested, because you like Star Wars and you like Lego. I like all those things. That is correct. And the One Direction autobiography is also on sale. Just hold on, I've got to hang up and get there immediately. Just so you know. Uh, all right, there you go. There's a there's a super duper epic episode for everybody to enjoy. Oh, I forgot to hit record. Oh man! <laughs> no, no. Oh no. Uh, all right. Well, that was good. That was good stuff. I hope. That was. I hope you enjoyed it as much as they did. I know I did. I can't speak for them. I know I've learned something. They'll let us know if they enjoyed it or not. And, uh, yeah, please, let us know. Send us suggestions. Give us compliments. We love all this stuff. Uh, oh, and I didn't even get a chance to talk about the Star Trek Summit. Save it. Oh. Save it for next. That'll give us motivation to hurry and do another episode. Yeah, that's a great story. Hanging out with Brent Spiner. And, uh, save it. It's good to save it there, man. I'll forget. Uh, all right, great. Enjoy it, everybody. Get out and see Avengers and, um, you know, support your local uh, sheriff. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Uh, bye, everybody. Shiny. Let's be bad guys. of nature's deepest mystery.